fiction and all that's fantastic i am one of your co-hosts from the state of new hampshire in the u.s of a philip and with me in the state of michigan this is eric eric how's it going sir it is going well how are you good good very well and uh, you just got back from uh, atlanta georgia isn't that correct i did i was on a business trip so uh i i apologize if i'm a little less prepared than usual but uh, uh like i discussed on my other podcast i can't exactly have a talk with my boss about how my work is cutting into my movie watching time yeah, that's true. That's true. Unless you win the lottery or something. And you wouldn't have a boss, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and we also have someone from the state of New York. Where? Oh, me. Mike, hi. This is Mike. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Very well. Very well. And aren't you going to ask how Eric's doing? He just told us. <laughs> there you go. Very good. So uh, it's the three of us tonight because we're doing a, a special topic that co-hosts Abe and, and special guests like MJ Preston and whatnot don't know anything about or are way behind and wouldn't be able to help and so forth. So uh, before we get into any of that stuff, uh, first off, uh, we have a couple of things. We have a, a clip, a voice clip from somebody. We have some uh, questions that were asked on the Facebook group. And we also have a, a poll thing going on in the Facebook group. And then, of course, what have we been watching? Um, so uh, first off, uh, yeah, let's uh, talk about the poll, right? Um, so what, what are we doing there, Mike, about this poll on Facebook Dark Discussions podcast group? Well, this actually came together rather quickly for a Dark Discussions type contest. Um, <laughs> we have put a poll up on Facebook because we know we have a lot of people on Facebook who listen to the podcast. If you're on the Facebook page and don't listen to the podcast. I don't know why you're there. But uh, we each picked three films that, while not completely obscure, aren't necessarily like what people would think of top-of-the-line horror films, and uh, put it up there in a poll to see what reader's choice would be. What would you? Which one of those 12 films, three from myself, three from Eric, three from Phil, and three from Abe, and uh, which one of those would people be most interested in us hearing us do an episode about? And we also added a contest that I don't that uh, remember what the prize is. So Phil, you're going to have to t-shirt. A teacher? You're going to win a t-shirt? Oh, t-shirt. Okay. Um, any like an ACDC yes, t-shirt? The prize t-shirt is or? Mike. You get Mike if you win. You get me. Yes. Um, I'll come to your house and, and clean it really poorly. Um. No, it's uh, you win a Dark Discussions T-shirt if you can guess correctly which of the twelve movies matches up with the hosts. Um, who, which which ones we picked? So, for example, uh, you know, let's say Primal Fear. You know, who was it that picked that one? If was it was it Phil, who we know has a, a fondness for th- uh, thrillers? Was it uh, Eric? Uh, was it? Um, Abe and with his eclectic taste, what was it? Me for my fondness of mental disorders. What? What? Which one? <laughs> pick pick primal fear. Yes, um, he does which, have a fondness for mental disorders. He's yes. not just the president; he's a member. Right. Um, so, 
pick which one if you can get all twelve, you know, or or I guess we'll pick with whoever comes closest, Phil. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So what what it is is if uh, we already got one response and and they actually got eight out of twelve correct. So yeah, whoever gets the closest. So that's the mark. That's what you have to beat. That's right. Yep. Exactly. It may be helpful or may not to go look at some of those uh, side projects that we've worked on, whether it's uh, Unnatural Selections or Scansity or a Realer Mover Reviewer or you know, maybe or maybe any of Phil's books. You might want to pick them up. Maybe there's clues contained in those stories. Um, but that might help the more you know your – to get you to know your hosts and see if you can figure it out. And you could win that T-shirt or you could just wait until they go on sale and save yourself the trouble. And there may or may not be a secret message about this hidden in the book Canopic Jars. <laughs> yes, yeah, probably not, but uh, everybody should. But it, but it might. It might. That's the important thing. Sure. You never know, right? So um, also, so out of those 12 movies, you can go on and on the poll on Facebook, you can pick which ones, as Mike said, and, and you can pick multiples. And yeah, whichever one. It has the most votes by the end of April. We're probably we're going to do an episode on. You can uh, you can have multiples. Yeah, so you can choose one. Uh, you know, three or four or whatever. You know, okay. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and, if you want to vote for all of them and have no impact whatsoever, please feel free. Which which could be okay because like two of the movies already don't have any votes and they, they're feeling lonely. Yeah, so uh, we'll leave the the poll up until April. Send you, the emails in. Uh, it's all. The pin post on the Facebook group, uh, darkdiscussions at com to guess the, the co-host to the movie, and then also vote, and uh, and there we go. All right, so uh, next thing is um, we got some questions asked on the Facebook group. because uh, Indeed. Yes, and we have a few. Uh, Eric, why don't you start reading some of them out? We'll, we'll answer them. Um, I'm trying to extract the question from this post. This is from Kevin Letts, our longtime listener. Uh, he says, you had an earlier question of who you'd like to finish copulating with before the masked murderer gets you. The question that came to my mind after that is, has there been a horror or slasher movie when a married couple bite the dust after engaging in copulation? None come to mind. Uh, so I guess really he's testing our knowledge of movies to see if there's one where an actual couple that's married, uh, in wedlock and officially allowed to have sex get killed by the killer. I'm going to take advantage of the loophole that he left in the question. Okay. And since there are many, many, many horror films that have been made, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Thankfully, he's not ask us. <laughs> So, so you're just answering the yes or no question. Okay. Yes, it has a yes or no question. So I'm going to say yes. Yes, indeed, there was. Uh, and we'll have a special prize. So the listener who can, can let us all know what that film actually was. <laughs> because thankfully, he didn't ask us to say that. Because then we would be up a creek without a paddle. But no, by giving a definitive yes, there is one out there. You can sound like your knowledgeable host like we should. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that there is a horror movie in which two married people have been murdered, uh, but not necessarily married to each other. But I can think of, I don't know why this is the one that pops to my head, because um, maybe because they were just such a stunningly attractive couple. Uh, but do you remember uh, Arachnophobia? Uh, yes. 
Yes, there's the, the couple that sits down to watch Wheel of Fortune, and they have spiders in their popcorn. Yeah, but can you really but consider have... spiders a murderer? Well, well, again, it. But that's the thing. Number one, they we don't. They're not having sex, and number two, they were killed by spiders, and it's hard to say that that's that's murder. Yeah. So, so that doesn't really necessarily apply. Um. Other than that, yeah, it's, uh, it gets, starts getting hard because we all know the horror rules are pre, premarital sex is not allowed. Right. Uh, postmarital sex is absolutely essential to horror films because that's where the uh, the fodder of the future will come from. <laughs> Phil, you have anything to chime in with this? I have nothing to add because I have I can't think. Of, I'm thinking of films as he's speaking, but I think of a couple of films where married couples get killed, but I can't think of any where they get killed right after or during. Yeah, there's got to be one, but we don't know what it is off the top of our heads. That's right. So, but there is one out there. Just it's up to you to find it. This is your char- your dark discussions challenge for today. <laughs> and uh, Kevin also asked, "How do I get my hands on one of the dark discussions T-shirts?" Well, Kevin. You can go try and match the movies to the hosts on the poll on uh, the Facebook group. That's how you can get your hands on one of those shirts. Or you can find one of us while we're wearing them. Um, no, let's stick with option A. True. Okay. And uh, eventually uh, we'll have details. Uh, I have a bunch of them. I just haven't put anything up on the website yet. But uh, I will say quarter two of 2014, that details – and availability will be there. So that'll be April, May, or June of this year. Very good. Now, I do have a couple of questions here, but they're from the same person who sent us a voicemail tonight. So do, do we want to read these? Because they're going to get an awful lot of FaceTime. Yeah, sure. All I right. I think it's okay. Okay. Uh, well, it's our number one fan, Michelle Barkley. She asked a couple questions here. Um, first, she says... Uh, unnatural selections. How does it feel being surrounded by the Apple cult tonight? Just kidding. That isn't my question. Uh, what is your favorite creature design movie monster? And I'm going to leap in first and say, hands down, no contest, uh, the aliens from the alien series of films. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, I would probably, I, I'm going to go with, uh, I haven't really thought about it and I'm sure. If uh, there's another day, I'd think of another film, but I'll, I'll say John Carpenter's the thing. Oh, good pick, Mike. Um, well, let me go. You, you took the easy one. Uh, with, <laughs> that's well, why. That, that's why I jumped in first. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the easy one. Um, and I really need to to think about it for a bit. Um, not much before. Alien, um, because most of the monster designs kind of sucked. Um, but you know what? Here, maybe this is a, a cheap one, but for, certainly for the time and um, technology that they had. How about the uh, the creature? That's what uh, I was about from, to say. From the and, creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, if I could interject for one moment, Mike. Certainly. Uh, there was a discussion about Universal Films on the Facebook group today because of Brian Cotner. Uh, I think that's how you say his French last name. But he has a uh, blog called Confessions of a Film Junkie.blogs.com. And he has the review of the Universal's The Mummy. And so there's been a big discussion of all the Universal monsters. And Michelle Barkley herself mentioned that's her favorite monster. So total coincidence. Excellent. 
And, and actually, let me let me go out on a limb here, and my memory's fuzzy because I have not seen this film since the mid-'80s, but I might actually think that um, the movie Monster Squad may have updated the, the, the costume very effectively. Uh, I may have improved on it a little bit by making it slightly less uh, anthropomorphic. Um, but it is a really good design. The other one I might I would be tempted to go with, obviously, would be um, the Boris Karloff Frankenstein. Yeah, because that's, that's that. And see, like I, I loved, I've mentioned before, the uh, makeup <clears throat> Lon Chaney Sr. did with the Phantom of the Opera. But that's coming right down to how closely it looks in the book, as opposed to Frankenstein, which if, which is a fairly um, independent creation, has no real resemblance to the creature from Shelley's novel. That's true. Not at all. And it's been copyrighted by Universal, so any other Frankenstein monster that you see in other movies doesn't look like that because it has to be paid for. Right. Okay, so uh, on to the next Facebook question from Michelle. Uh, This is uh, also out of curiosity. What are your three favorite songs of all time? Obviously, this isn't genre-related, but I would like to know a little about your taste in music. Wow. I would have to spend a lot of time thinking carefully about this to give an answer I felt comfortable with. So I'll give an answer I'm not comfortable with and just list three off the top of my head. Uh, one is I'll go with the Judas Priest song, uh, Beyond the Realms of Death. Uh, not only is it a cool song, but it was the one of the central pieces of the paper I wrote in high school uh, about the Judas Priest trial where they were trying to blame that band for the suicide of a teenager. And uh, it's also got one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. Uh, and on that note, for the second one, I'll go with uh, the song For the Love of God uh, from Steve Vai. Uh, it's an instrumental electric guitar piece, uh, which showcases his phenomenal skill. And number three, oh, I don't know. Uh, let's go with Holy Diver from Dio, just because it's Dio. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, and for me, it's uh, it's changes. You know, depends on the month of the year or whatever. Uh, but I'll, I'll throw out three um, that could change in a few months from now. But uh, I will say uh, the Doors, their song "The End." Uh, mm. That's a good one. Uh, it is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Then I'll say Stephen Stills, uh, "Love the One You're With," which, by the way, made a little cameo in Prometheus the movie. And the third one will be Coming Home by Leonard Skinner. So those, cool. Those, yeah, those are the three I would say. Mike? Mike? Okay, so I guess it's up to me then. Let me think. Well, and, and going to completely betray, uh, I guess, my star- status as a, a horror fan and uh, pretty much my, my heterosexuality here, <laughs> um, and, and admit that I happen to be a, a very big fan of, uh, of Sir Elton John. And I'm, oh. and um, actually went last night to see uh, what is it the Fanda- not Fandango or not whatever it is the, the the events on AMC and they did like his Vegas concert on screen and I had a free night last night so I, so I went to see that but I, mean, I, I but I, I love uh, Tiny Dancer so yeah, that's, that's an awesome song awesome song um, and pretty much anything off the whole Madman Across the Water album I'm also a big fan of um, uh, Van Morrison. Um, Pretty much anything off the Moondance album uh, is something I enjoy. And because I'm a massive Star Wars nerd, I'm going to go with the Imperial March. <laughs> that works. Uh, and as, as my, my, uh, my out there. I'm actually not very hit, uh, much into very hard rock and heavy metal, but uh, I'm more like classic rock. Um, but 
so much depends on what is my mood at that particular point in time. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's a tough it, question to answer these, uh, that are based on personal taste that can be subjective and change over time. Uh, I will say that, uh, although Elton John may be the epitome of gayness, uh, I can't really rip on anybody for liking him because he's clearly just extremely talented. I, I've listened to him long enough. I can point out a lot of crap that he's done too. Um, and I've yeah. probably bought multiple versions of the crappy albums too, but it's, um, but his greatest hits are our greatest hits. Different friggin' great songs. Oh yeah. And right. there's, and there's a lot of songs like there's a, a song he did on the, the caribou album, which is not a very good album, but there's a song called ticking, which is basically about, um, you know, about a spree shooting, spree killing, which is really good. My um, only gripe with Elton John is that song candle and when that got way too much radio time. Well, and that's again, how much do you blame the artist and how much do you blame the the radio for overplaying it? <laughs> right. Um I can say like my, my least favorite songs of all time because I was working in a record store at the time they came out and not only would I dislike the songs to begin with, but I got to hear them multiple times every day were um Achy Breaky Heart and Oh good I, God. And and I will always love you from the Bodyguard soundtrack. Yeah, also good God. But it's, it's rock songs are damn good. And um and we must give t- full credit to Bernie Toppin for writing all the lyrics. Well, absolutely, because that's one of the things I like about it is Bernie, because he knows he's putting words in somebody else's mouth, very rarely necessarily speaks his feelings, but tends to tell stories. You know, and, you know, a song like Indian Sunset, which is about the, the death of a, an Indian brave, you know, in, in the Old West, or um, Mad Men Across the Water about a man in, in an insane asylum. You know, so he tends to tell stories and paint pictures rather than say, oh, I love you so very much. That tends to not be what he writes, even though, like, your song is, you know, their first big hit. But anyway. And uh, on the Facebook group, MJ Preston posted a follow-up to Michelle's question, which is says, Michelle, that's why I'm not on tonight. I'm a huge Floyd fan. And Eric Webster said he wouldn't appear because he was slid by David Gilmore at the Detroit Rock Summerfest in 1984. I don't know if I can ever appear with Eric again. By the way, he watches The Voice. And you listen to you watch uh, the Glee too show. <laughs> I did for a while. Uh, I, I actually don't watch The Voice, uh, and I was eleven in nineteen eighty four, so that didn't I, really happen either. But I admit to watching probably several episodes of American Idol by default because it always came on right before twenty four, and we'd have to sit through the, like the last <laughs> couple of minutes before. So if you take like the last couple of minutes of all the. American Idols I had to sit through. It probably adds up to a few episodes. And I've never seen seen The Voice or was it X Factor? Yeah, but, I've never but seen But I do admit that either. I used to watch The Gong Show when I was a kid, and it's basically the same idea. So Right, right. They, they, yeah, they all are. And, but I have to say, I don't watch The Voice, but every so often when my wife is watching it and I walk into the room, I have to stop because Christina Aguilera shows everything. Yes. And if, and if uh, I will, yeah. I will admit I am also extremely attracted to Christina Aguilera. Uh, and not only that, but the woman can sing. Uh, I mean, out of all the pop divas, I think she's the one that, uh, probably has the most natural singing skill. Really? What about Katy Perry? Uh, I mean, she can, she can sing a good tune. I don't think, I don't think she has the, the natural skill that Aguilera does. But that's just my personal opinion. Fair enough. Um, What's amazing to me is that uh, the, uh, Christina Aguilera can belt out the songs, and if you're listening and don't know who it is, uh, you might think you're listening to a large black woman singing. Uh, 
Go read the, the first time I actually saw a picture of Christina Aguilera after hearing her say, I was like, wait, what? That voice is coming out of that tiny little blonde? Are you kidding me? Anyway, talk about getting off topic. Uh, MJ Preston brings us back to Earth and says, okay, in all seriousness, how long will recording the show go on before Phil has to take his dog for a pee? It's a good question. Right now she's sleeping. And ah. And, and we are we are just about to crest forty eight minutes, um, not all of which was being recorded, however. Uh, so so it took about forty five minutes to Phil get to get to his first hot woman comment. <laughs> and then the it didn't then, take long at all for us to get to killing children, but that's a whole other story. And then we have another question from Jessica Herrera. <laughs> uh, are any of you guys a William Castle fan? And if so, what's your favorite film? Uh, I am not. Uh, I think the closest I ever got to watching a William Castle film was listening to a dark, dis- or not a dark discussions episode, a horror et cetera episode on that, uh, topic. They, I think they did an episode on William Castle once upon a time. Yeah, um, I, I can't say I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. Uh, I don't know, uh, at the time, a lot of the older films, I wasn't like following who was the producer or director when I used to watch them at younger so i wouldn't really know uh many of his films off the top of my head however i do know that he was the producer of rosemary's baby and and was supposed to direct that but he they thought they they wanted to get someone that wasn't as quote-unquote schlocky to be the director someone that was unknown and uh but i do do remember house on haunted hill was by him and i'll go with that one as i guess my favorite by him I'll admit to being more of a fan of the concept of William Castle than a fan of the man and his work because I admit I haven't seen much of it. In fact, I just you know looked up on um, IMDb. And I'm kind of surprised to see how, for someone known for his cheesy horror films, most of his, his work seems to be doing um, westerns in the 40s and 50s. So he only ha- he doesn't have quite that many horror films, you know, in that span of time. I think the first one may be uh, Macabre from 1958, I'm guessing, is a horror film. You know, and so in that uh, ooh, not even 20-year period, you know, he's got maybe a dozen horror films, um, which most of which I haven't seen. I haven't seen Homicidal or Crazy Ghost. I know of The Tingler. I've seen House on Haunted Hill. I like House on Haunted Hill. I have The Old Dark House. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But I like the idea of William Castle, the guy who is the shameless self-promoter and, you know, going out there and selling schlocky films. You know, I, I, I'm a full-throated capitalist, so, you know, God bless you if you can get people in the theater to watch your movie under whatever premises they are, as long as you're willing to deal with the backlash afterwards. He was probably in the wrong era because he would be perfect for today's era because he would have been able to do those uh, interesting concepts much easier today and have them actually be effective versus in other words he would be like the big 3d guy today or the big surround sound guy and and unfortunately at the time his era that wasn't the case he's a guy who should have designed a theme park yeah there you go yeah there you go yep and uh that's the end of our facebook questions but i believe uh phil received a voicemail that's right yes uh from michelle barkley as a matter of fact and uh Let's go ahead and play it now. Hello, gentlemen. This is Michelle, your Uber Dark Discussions podcast fan. And this voicemail is in regards to a subject you guys have talked about in the past few episodes. Now, I do realize these episodes were taped a few months ago, but as listeners, we're just 
getting to hear them ourselves. And the subject is that this Dark Discussions podcast family has grown, and Philip and his wife had a beautiful baby girl. Now, in listening to some of the older episodes, I realized that there are some really warm and fuzzy nuggets about children in there, and there are some things that just warm my heart as a parent here come out of the host's mouth. Um, so I'm going to include some clips in here and see what you guys think about it. Now, the first clip I did cut a little bit out. Um, I was afraid it was a little bit of a spoiler, so you can kind of tell where there's a teeny bit of a jump. There's maybe three, four seconds cut out. But it doesn't take away from the conversation at all. You still get the gist of what's going on. And so now he's he's willing to kill three children, where two of them are completely innocent, and the third one is probably the rainmaker. I don't so think they're completely innocent. I know kids; they're not, they're not going to be completely innocent. <laughs> that's true. They may be kind of innocent. They're innocent of being the rainmaker, but they're little and, bastards and, and anyway. The movie Magnolia. One of the best lines in that film is the character at the bar. He's talking to William H Macy, and he goes, "Don't ever mistaken a child for an angel." And I always say that to everybody when they try to say, "Oh, he's such a little beauty." But anyway, off passion children. The point is, is that... Well, that's not true. That's not true. Because he does have an emotional reaction the first time he does it. But it gets a lot easier the second time. It's like a potato chip, man. <laughs> that, that's true. Just, that's true. Yeah, you can't just kill one. But, 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 but he, <laughs> uh, okay, maybe I was wrong. Uh, I must have put the wrong clip in there. I know I have one around here somewhere. Uh, so let me put that one in next. But I will say, Mike... I will never, ever look at a laced potato chip the same way again. I do know people who say, well, I can't watch this. As a parent, this film just really offended me or this film really disturbed me. You know, where I say, well, as someone who doesn't have kids and sometimes has homicidal feelings towards children, uh, I kind of enjoy watching children get slaughtered on screen. (laughs) Okay, scratch that. Uh, Now, we all know Mike is a teacher, so he has reason to be annoyed with kids so we'll give him a pass and up until this point i mean eric's always been giggling at these comments but he's been he's been pretty good about keeping his comments about children and kids to himself ask any almost anybody in my family it's like our parents got some sort of special glee out of showing us burnt offerings and watching all the small children cower in terror at the person pushing the coffin well small children should cower in terror yeah i know i'm on that side of the fence now i wasn't at the time uh i guess i was wrong there too um, okay, well, you know what, we'll let that one slide because Eric was just kind of backing up what Mike had to say about the small children. If he had just chucked that kid off the roof, oh my god, that would have made this the best series yeah. ever. Huh, okay, well, Phil, I guess you're on your own, you might not want to take advice from those two. Um, on Abe's behalf, he's been a very, very good boy and hasn't said anything yet about children or young adults so i we don't really know what his thoughts are on it but uh you may want to not take advice in the bringing of your daughter up from (laughs) your two co-hosts as much as i love them uh it would make me think twice listening to those clips (laughs) anyhow i know it's all in jest and you guys always make me laugh and um, I never take offense to anything. I have no problem listening about stuff like that, even though I have kids. I'm not one of those fanatics. Um, actually, it always makes me crack up, especially when Erica gets a good belly laugh out of Mike's talking about kids being like potato chips. So anyhow, thank you guys so much for making my nights at work 
uh, enjoyable, and I really, really love the show, and keep up the great work. All right, so uh, okay. that was uh, I, I have to say, uh, Michelle, um, I take great offense at the fact that you made a comment that uh, all those uh, comments we made were a jest. Because uh, <laughs> really, uh, I hate kids. That's terrible. <laughs> uh, and, and, and as I, uh, I've got my annual review coming up shortly. So if this somehow ends up in my principal's hands, I'm screwed. So, um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, what the, the reality of children is that, uh, they aren't precious bundles of joy and they're evil they, little bastards and they all deserve to die. And, you know, there are some that are cute and, you know, that, and the reason that they're cute is because it hides their uh, total utter corruption of evil. And we would all leave them by the side of the road if they were hideous and ugly the way the ancient Greeks did. That's terrible. terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Phil, Phil, who's now a father, uh, can't join in. Uh, but, uh, but Eric, aren't you a, a uncle? No. None of your brothers have, have kids? No. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. How did your family <laughs> manage to make it this far? Um, I don't know. You'd have to ask them. I mean, I'm an only child, but I have plenty of cousins with plenty of kids. So, oh, I, mean, I got I'm, plenty of cousins, with plenty of kids too. So, just, I'm, I'm I'm an uncle in name only several times over, uh, second cousin more. But it's uh, I was going to say I don't think that makes you officially an uncle. No, it's an uncle, uncle has name to be only. a direct sibling, and none of my direct siblings have had children. But now, Phil, how how old is your your, your daughter? Uh, just over four months. Now. And uh, you're going to tell me she hasn't been manipulating you yet? Yeah, no, no, no yeah, she has, yeah. Well, and I am going to point to a post that Phil put on Facebook last week. It was on the Dark Discussions page, and he said it was. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here because I can't. I don't. I can't find the original post. But uh, it was a scansity. Was it a scansity? Are you sure? I thought it was Dark Discussions. If it's scansity, that'll be easier to find. Uh, but uh, he he posted that the true meaning of horror was being up in the middle of the night feeding his child. <laughs> now, part of the problem was he was trying to breastfeed, so... Uh, <laughs> Eric, Eric, then you're right. That was the dark discussion post. I thought you were talking about the one where I said uh, um, we're all insane as a, as a race because... When a baby starts freaking out because the pink. Oh, that's that's right. You also called your own daughter mentally insane. (laughs) Let's remember, we we they they, when they they come out, which admittedly is a traumatic experience. You then spend months catering to their every need and their every whim, and then we wonder why they think the world is all about them. (laughs) True. True. So, uh, Phil may have not been recorded making any comments vocally about children. Uh, he's got a little, he's got a little, uh, no, no, going on there. His, at his favorite film list from the last couple of years and see some patterns there that we don't want to get into. That's terrible. But hey, I did say, uh, in Magnolia, the film Magnolia, uh, don't ever mistaken children for angels. <laughs> That's right. Well, there, there, there are angels and there are fallen angels, and I see kids fall down quite a bit. Lucifer! Yes. <laughs> All right, so I, I think we should move along. Thanks a lot, Michelle Barkley, for that. And, and once again, let me just recommend uh, Come Out and Play for those of you who want to see children yes. get beat. 
Yes, that's that's a good one. Yeah, and the, uh, the good uh, the British horror film too, The Children. That's another good one. Ah, yes, and then It's Alive, The Children. Yes. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what we've we been watching? Well, obviously, uh, we've been watching, um, rewatching uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. So that's been taking up a lot of our times. But uh, I do have five films I'll just throw out. Um, I'll throw them out in the order that I saw them. Uh, 24 Exposures, which is uh, Joe Swansburg. He was the older brother in You're Next, and he was in VHS, and he directed one of the films in VHS as well. And uh, his film, 24 Exposures, is about a photographer and his girlfriend or wife kind of person, well, you know, common law, whatever, that take photographs of... Um, Woman, uh, kind of in poses of, of death, like so. So you know, they put on fake makeup and all that. And it's actually it's Adam Wingard plays the lead, and Simon Barrett plays um, a cop. And it is like a drama, character study, semi thriller, semi horror film. Um, it was pretty good. It was it was uh, it was good, interesting film. Um, but it's an acquired taste, I would say. Also, I saw Nurse 3D, which actually is coming out on disc, I think, in the next two weeks. And that was a really good thriller. Um, if you like thrillers. Did you see it in 3D or 2D? I saw it in 2D, unfortunately. Um, but uh, it's still, it, it, there was nothing in it that really made it, you know, like 3D, like you would miss. So uh, The nurse didn't have breasts? Yeah. It was... Well, you know what I mean. Like the axe coming right out at the Yeah. So uh, that was a really good one. Um I enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, then I saw In Fear, which you did too, Eric, and that's a Irish film that was mm-hmm. filmed in England or Scotland, actually. And um, I liked the first half. You liked the second half, <laughs> right? We kind of we kind of switched what part of the movies we liked. Yeah, exactly. So, and it gets been getting rave reviews at, through the cir- festival circuits. Sundance, it went through and all that, and uh, it's a horror film. Um, and Between was, the two of us, Phil and I give it a good review. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it, it was it was good. It, I, you, Eric, said on Facebook that you thought maybe it was uh, overhyped by yes by what you saw, and I would probably agree with that. Yeah, uh, but still a good film. Um, then it was I, okay. Yeah, it was okay. Exactly. Then I saw Cheap Thrills. Uh, which I watched on your recommendation, and I'm happy to say that this is not a movie that Phil recommended just because there was boobs. Um, uh, uh, I want to say, I want to point out, uh, you left an important word. You reluctantly watched on Phil's recommendation. Yes, yes, you, I was, you, I was you, you were, I think I used to, you, I think you said you were scared? I, w- I was, I was scared because he was using the same kind of hyperbole that he did last year in reference to Spring Breakers. Uh, so that's why I was afraid, is because he went bananas about that movie, and I thought it was just, not very interesting at all. Um, but I'm glad to say that I found uh, Treat Frills much more interesting, and I would wholeheartedly recommend it for the listening audience of our podcast. And I actually have to say that it's probably the best genre film I've seen this year or last year. But that's a genre the- film which is currently listed as comedy for some reason. But- yeah, it is not really comedy at all. Uh, well, like- and I just oh, want to point out to, uh, to uh, Michelle – Who's uh, been on the bandwagon of defending the little dogs uh, that Phil recommended cheap thrills? And if you watch the movie, uh, figure out if Phil's actually on your side. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. I, my personal opinion, Cheap Thrills deserves an episode, but that's just my opinion. Uh, I'm down with it. Yeah, all right, uh, Mike, you got to check it out. I think you would. Get I, it. I will. It's uh, yeah. you can catch it pretty much anywhere. Uh, obviously, iTunes. Um, I'm probably Microsoft. If you have an Xbox, has it on demand. I don't know what PlayStation does for their video service. Um, I know Voodoo has it. I know Amazon has it. So yeah, it's Xfinity out there. Comcast has it. They they actually had it uh, first. They had the full exclusive rights to it for the first like month, and it's, so that's still there. Um, so yeah, you can pretty much get it everywhere now. Uh, high recommend, Mike. You should check it out. And yeah, Eric's down to do an episode, and it's, it's a good one. Uh, and then the last film I wanted to mention was I saw Divergent at the theaters. I didn't know anything about this film. I didn't hear about it until the day before it came out because I haven't been watching TV as much, so I haven't seen any commercials. I didn't know. I'm about still the amazed book. you never saw a trailer for that at the theater. Never, never did. And the only reason I knew about it was because Mike, you mentioned. It, you said, well, what could we do next? And you started naming out a bunch of upcoming genre films, and you said that one was one of them, and came out the next day. And so I just went and saw it, and it was pretty good. It wasn't fantastic. I thought the first two hours was really good in the last 20 minutes because it was a 2.20 film. The last 20 minutes were just so so It was kind of suspension of disbelief. But it was okay. Yeah, and Eric, believe it or not, I did not see any trailers for it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a thing I'm getting really sick of. I walked into a movie ten minutes late uh, the other day, and I walked in before the film had started. They are really getting absurd with the trailers that they're yeah. um, that they're watching now. And I'm so sick. I think last year it was uh, I Frankenstein and Ender's Game. I just saw ad nauseum. And lately it's been divergent where it's like every film I go to see, it's got one of these in front of it. And I like trailers, but stop showing me the same damn trailer every five minutes. Yeah, I saw the I saw the divergent trailer at least two, if not three times. Yeah. In theaters. Wow. Yeah, so, so yeah, either way, you, everybody can now go see it if they want, because that's probably going to be at the theaters for a good month or so, because it's been a pretty big box office hit, um, and uh, and so it'll probably last at the theaters for a good many months, or at least a month anyway, so. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much about it for me. Uh, what about you, Eric? Uh, the only thing I've seen that we didn't already discuss was uh, The Den. Uh, it is a, I'm assuming it's low budget. If it's not, then they should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, it's a low budget found footage format movie, uh, about a woman who gets a grant to do a research project on online interactions between people, uh, using this site called the den where you can just go meet people online and video chat with them. Uh, and, Things go horribly wrong, and she ends up seeing what she believes is a murder online, and things go from there. Uh, it wasn't quite what I was expecting going into it, uh, and I ended up liking it quite a bit. Uh, I thought it had the same kind of vibe to it as uh, Megan is Missing, um, although there are no underage people in this movie, so it wasn't quite as icky. Uh, but yeah, if you like that kind of thing, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, Phil on, uh, on Facebook made a comment about, uh, kind of shying away from it because of the found footage format, uh, which I kind of get. i there have been a lot of those, but at this point, it's kind of an accepted format. Uh, and if you shun all found footage movies, you're probably going to miss some good ones. 
Yeah, yeah. And the only reason I said that was because um, Jason Lloyd had a list on horrorphilia.com. Uh, uh, he's the, the head of uh, the horrorphilia.com website, podcast, blogs. And he had a list of seven horrible movies from 2013, and they were all found footage or something. And so I was, I was suddenly saying, yeah, that's maybe all these found footage movies are so low budget because anybody can do them now that most of them stink. But again, you're right. I should, you've got to take each one individually. And uh, you said this one was pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it. I can imagine somebody not liking this movie, but you should check it out and decide for yourself. Fair enough. All right, uh, Mike, what about yourself? Have you seen uh, anything? Uh, yeah, finally, uh, this weekend, I uh, managed to get to the theater and made, took in a double feature. It was uh, turned out to be a Liam Neeson day. Stop. Um, yeah, I went to see Nonstop. And, uh, which did was, it end? Uh, sadly, it did, yeah. Um, but it does really get to how you can build suspense uh, and tension without necessarily having to spend $300 million on CGI aliens. Sweet. Um, spoiler warning. But, um, now, it's, Mike, uh, is- yeah, I thought it was a really good thriller. Yeah. Um, it, the, the most it was disturbing was though that Liam Neeson has to text throughout most of the film and realize just how how massive those sausage fingers are of his. <laughs> um, he's, he's got some weird hands, but uh, I mean he gives a great performance. Uh, it's nice to know that you know sixty year old or so Liam Neeson kicks the you know can easily kick uh, uh, you know black ops uh, operatives with ease, uh, kick their ass. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a real like I said, it's a really good film. I would strongly recommend it. I don't know that it's ever going to be necessarily a classic, but it's one of those films that if it pops up on cable, would be one that you might be hard pressed to, to turn off. Um, and if you're looking for something to watch right now, uh, this would be a good thing to to take in. Uh, the other thing I caught was the uh, finally caught the Lego Movie, which was fun. It's a kids' film, but it's um, it was fun. And Liam Neeson plays bad cop in the film. No, nice. no, Mike, he also plays good cop. No, Mike, no, Mike uh, nonstop. Is that worthy of an episode of Dark Discussions? Uh, I could go either way on that. Um, I don't necessarily know how dark it is, but it's certainly something you could discuss. I'm not sure how much meat there is to it, but it yeah. certainly was a fun film. Yeah, you know uh, what? I, it's similar to, like, The Call last year where it's a really good thriller, but, but yeah, the meat, It's I mean, it's pretty straightforward, but, A to Z, right? But but unlike the call, the it doesn't have a finale of Liam Neeson stepping into a massive pile of crap. <laughs> Man, that ending really got you, didn't it? Well, because and what pissed me off is that if the rest of the film had been crap, I would have bothered me less. Right, no, but I it hear just you. so stands out as being different from the rest of the film. No, yeah. I'm not. I'm not arguing with you. I just didn't get as upset about it as you did. Okay, now this was just announced. Um, I've mentioned before I'm going to the uh, Scares the Care convention down in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia at the very end of June. I know we have a listener or two who's going down there as well. Um, and they just had an announcement at 8.30 uh, tonight, which was a couple of minutes ago. Um, who is the the actor who plays uh, Giancarlo Esposito, unfortunately, had to pull out. So he's not going to be going. Um, but they did get um, – who is the director? Um, John Carpenter. No. Director for what? Steven Spielberg. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm blanking on the film that he directed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but they just, 
No. But they did um, David Lynch. <sighs> Not that big, no. Uh, who directed uh, Reanimator? Oh. That dude. Oh, yeah. He, that's, oh, shoot. Uh, oh, my God. I can't remember his name. See, if this only is there the, were an online source of information where I could find I, this I'm out. looking at the damn webpage right now. I can't find it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's Stuart a, Gordon. Stuart Gordon. He's gonna, so he's going to be there in place of Giancarlo Esposito. But they just announced they're having a, um, a Fright Night reunion. Oh, uh, okay. So they're going to have Amanda Beers, um, William Ragsdale. Uh, Stephen Jeffries and Chris Sarandon will all be at this convention uh, at the end of June, June 27th through 29th uh, at the uh, Doubletree Hilton in Williamsburg, uh, Virginia. So that makes me really happy. Uh, and I know I've interviewed a friend of Stephen Jeffries uh, at the uh, Horror Realm Con, and I'm glad to see he's getting out there and going to be putting in a convention appearance because he's went through some uh some shit and got blacklisted for a variety of reasons but and you can find of all... Joffrey's speaking of Joffrey's yes well actually i think we we're out of time for tonight so this was a fascinating discussion <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. um yeah so i, I all right let's, let's let's move on then right uh with anything else or yeah, should we just go to the topic well uh, speaking of Joffrey's tonight we're talking about game of thrones and we're going to focus mainly on season 3 uh, but we may go a little bit around the edges since we uh, didn't get to talk about everything we wanted to in our first Game of Thrones episode. We may play it a little looser because the first time around was so strictly regimented uh, and ordered ah. and structured. <laughs> yes. Season four will be out. I was about to say, Phil. whoa, I missed a couple. <laughs> yeah. Phil's a time traveler. Phil's a time traveler. So season four will be out in, uh, by the time you hear this, probably a day or two, but uh, about six, uh, yeah, about eight to ten days from now. And um, season three just came out on discs, and me and Eric flatlined them from uh, 
basically uh, binge watched them. Yep. And so we we caught up pretty quick. And then Mike, you you had seen it prior, and then you rewatched it because it's a good show. And uh, yeah, so season three, uh, some big big things. Um, there's a new thing that I learned from it, which is we discussed in the last episode, Big Bad Wolf's episode, where I say, now, I compare everything to something called the Red Wedding. If mm-hmm. you are a viewer who are shocked about the Red Wedding, then yes, you do not want to watch this film, or yes, you do want to watch this film, because that is the type of topic, the Red Wedding, that basically determines if you're a uh, Naomi or a Halloween-type person. <laughs> so, I just want to say. Uh, by the way, to... just throw this out here. It had, and I, I just want to make sure we do this because uh, people are particularly sensitive about this series. We will be spoiling season three of Game of Thrones. But I want to say one thing before we get started. And I don't give a damn if it spoils it for anybody, but it has to be said. Hodor. Hodor. Hodor, stop hodoring. Hodor. Hodor. So yes, Hodor, 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 Hodor. That's that's probably the 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 big thing of this series that Hodor has become a cult hero, similar to that uh, bigger guy that was in Lost. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, I think it was kind of a shock to everyone when Hodor shouted down the well, and we got not two but three echoes of his name. (laughs) Um, That was that was just took everybody by surprise. It turned into an internet meme. There were videos all over the place of people reacting to him calling out Hodor. It was, it was, uh, it brought a tear to the eye. It just... That's right. And I believe that was episode 10 of season three. As a matter of fact, when he does that. Now, uh, before we get started on this, who amongst us has read any of the books? I've read uh, the first two. And, okay. then, and then I've cheated and, and, and gone to Wikipedia and read everything about all the books. <laughs> so I know. Mike, I, Mike, have you read any of the series? I I've started the first book, um, and I got to be honest, I'm desperately in need of, uh, and I'm just finding time of getting a new pair of prescription lenses because I, I can't read more than a few minutes without getting myself a headache. Um, and um, I have the insurance to pay for them. I just have to find the time to get to the damn doctor. I hear you. Who's about forty five minutes away? So well, actually, about thirty minutes away. Um, but it's uh, but you know, so I but I've actually. Kind of spoiled myself on some things because I I I'm an idiot. <laughs> Fair enough. And well, you know, burn me once, you know, shame on you. Burn me, you know, ninety three times, shame on me. And it's right. I know this is out there, and you know, there are some people who are assholes who just want to spoil things for people. Could, could but, I, I, but, I, but I can't, but I can't blame them for this because like they'll just blurt out on a message board, you know, that uh, whatever uh, Tyrion gets herpes, whatever it is, you know, they'll just. Uh, uh, I'd fuck with you, but I, uh, you know, watching something, trying to find out more about a character, and going to like the Game of Thrones Wikipedia page, or and thinking, well, I'm only going to read the stuff that I'm looking for for the background, but they don't necessarily, excuse me, they don't necessarily organize it by how things are revealed in the show, right? Well, and, and so I, gotta, I, gotta, like, I have to Andrew, well before Tyrion got herpes, I was like, right, oh shit, you know. All right, I, I got to interject here. Yeah. I think the question was by Eric, which is a simple yes and no question. Have you ever read any of the books? <laughs> I've read so I've started reading the first one, and that's about as far as I made it. But yeah, it's um, but I I don't think I'm spoiled beyond the third season. Okay, so you've read book one, and Phil's book read the first two books. I have actually read most of the way through book five. 
Um, I got to tell you, the first three books are some of the most awesome books I've ever read. Uh, book four was like slogging through wet sand for me. Uh, because really the whole book centers around characters that I, characters that I don't give a shit about. Um, the reason he did it that way is that four, books four and five kind of happened at the same time. So he kind of chose one set of characters to cover in book four and then, uh, kind of did a rewind and covered a different set of characters for the overlapping time period in book five. Um, and seeing how they've translated all this to the television series is fairly interesting because although season three is for the most part based on book three, uh, they, they pulled some stuff from book five into it. Uh, so I found that aspect kind of interesting. And we are referring to the author, George R. R. Martin. Yes. Very well. And, uh, yeah, that, that's what I heard. I heard that they were going to do that. And they have is what you're saying, which is interesting. Yeah. Away from book five, how about that? Well, so I'm, just, yeah, I'm just curious. Which are the characters you don't give a shit about? With if that doesn't spoil anything. Well, it's not. There are a lot of characters that I don't give a shit about. The point being, the book four is that none of the ones I did care about were in there, uh, and and the ones I the ones I uh, I like paying attention to are uh, well, let's see, uh, Brienne and Jamie, uh, Daenerys. Uh, the Starks, uh, Jon Snow, and that's pretty much it. Uh, oh, and, uh, Arya. Yeah. Well, she's one of the Starks. So. What about Stannis? Stannis? I'm not, I know you're a big Stannis fan. I'm really not. Um, not a fan of the Stannis. Uh, I think, Phil, you and I are pretty much oppositely aligned as far as what's going on in Westeros. Uh, <laughs> so, that's fine. Everybody's so, so you're on the Joffrey opinion. bandwagon? No, 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 no. Phil is. Oh, Joffrey? I don't like Joffrey. Oh, well, you're anti-Stark, so that means you're pro-Joffrey. No, I'm not anti-Stark. I think Ned was the best. And I, lo- I love Jon Snow, and I like Sansa. <laughs> okay. I, I just don't like Rob Stark. I think yeah, well, we'll get to that. Okay, you said some pretty damn harsh things about about uh, not Rob, but uh, oh, Caitlin. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't like her either. Yeah, well, and and you got some fair points too. So we'll get into all that. So anyway, season three. I can't. I honestly, I like I say, I apologize for not being uh, prepared completely for this episode. Uh, where does season three start in the storyline? I'm having trouble remembering. After season two. Thanks. It's the aftermath of the um, the Battle of Blackwater. Uh huh. Um, basically, is where where it begins. Um, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's uh, Stannis has, has gone back to uh, his his castle. Um, Jamie and Brienne are heading back to. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay, and then it was the the White Walker battle, and. Um, and well, what's his face get picks gets uh, stranded on a rock and picked up by a ship? Yes, uh, Davos. Yeah. The Onion Knight. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, yeah, Davos. That's it. Yep, that's right. I'm trying to write down names here because I, I, I mean, I know the characters, but I'm trying to remember what. Wait, what was their name again? What was like who like um, the guys with with Daenerys? I can't think of her name. I, I mean, her name, not the 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 ones that are with her. Besides Grey Worm, he's easy. The un- Unsullied. Right. No, who are the her her advisors? Oh, the advisors. I thought you meant her army. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, of a J. Uh, Lord, Ooh. sir. Uh, Jorah. Jorah Mormont. Jorah. See? Yeah, yeah that's right. 
Yeah. Like John, John Snow, I know because just here, you don't know anything, John Snow. You just heard that too many times. <laughs> you don't know what well, you're doing, John uh, Snow. Okay, I'm gonna save Phil from himself here uh, and jump in and be the first one to say that I'm really glad we got to see Igret naked. Yes, yes. <laughs> Dude just broke the podcast. Why? That's yeah. Phil's thing. <laughs> <laughs> Phil's thing. He doesn't go around promoting a scarcity. You don't go talking about the hot naked chicks. Well, she's a redhead, and I have a thing for redheads, so I had to say something. Yeah. What, uh, what about Massandra um, too? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, her too. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, look, listening to one of the commentaries from uh, I forget whether it was season one or season two, uh, but there's an episode where uh, she ends up topless in one of those, and uh, one of the other actors was on the on the commentary with. Um, uh, Chris Van Houten, sorry, I blanked on her name for a second, uh, talking about how in that scene, uh, she was getting ready for the scene and he walked in and, uh, they had just been talking about how the, uh, the mother who is breastfeeding the way too old child, uh, had an appliance on her chest so that, uh, that it appeared that, that he was actually breastfeeding, but they weren't really her breasts. Uh, and the actor in the scene, uh, with Chris Van Houten assumed that that was the same thing going on. And walked in, and she was actually topless. And he thought she was wearing an appliance. He just said, "Wow, those look great." <laughs> and she was just like, "Uh, well, thanks." <laughs> Jesus. Oh god. Oh god, that's too funny. And was it Stannis? Probably. You got to play Stannis. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, um, so here's here's my I, the question I asked on the Facebook page a few weeks ago. Um, okay. Now we're dealing with three guys, so we should be looking at that at women here. But uh, Mary Bankill, who in the Game of Thrones universe, who are you going with? Oh, right, right, right. I answered this. I'm trying to remember my answer. Yeah, I remember. Um, mine was uh, um, take out Cersei's. Um, the second one was uh, Igret. So it was a bang. And then uh, the Mary was a Santa. Oh, that's right. And I mocked the hell out of you for that. Yeah, um, I still don't know why. Because she's a vapid twat. No, she's a survivor and she's, and she's gorgeous. Uh, a 14-year-old vapid twat. But she's getting less <laughs> in the – I don't know about, I don't know about the, um, the books, but the character is getting somewhat less vapid. Not that she's not vapid, but she's just less vapid as the series goes on. <laughs> Right. She, I, I have to disagree. She's she. Yes, at the beginning she's just a little kid. At the end, by the now end she's a fourteen-year-old worldly adult. She's a uh, she's she's a survivor. I'm pretty sure I said uh, Mary or no, I said murder Cersei, uh, bang Egret, and Mary. Oh, who did I want to marry? I think I married Daenerys. Um, although uh, I put the disclaimer that if I'm a we. If I'm allowed to wait until she's of age, then I'd go with Arya. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that character at all. What? Yeah, okay, I'm the, whatever. I'm the, only, I'm the only person, probably. Yes, world. yes, you are. Yeah, I can't stand. Which that. means you're wrong. Yeah, if she would, if she was old enough, <laughs> then yeah, she seems like the kind of person I would, I would, I would want. But she's not, so I'm not even going there. <laughs> Let's just stop this the discussion of Arya right here. And I'm, I'm trying to find the names right now because I'm just. <laughs> Horrible with names, and I'm looking at the cast of Game of Thrones, and it's it's such a short list. Yeah, uh, there's only fifty different oh, members of the cast. Right. Yeah. See, I I said um, 
Mary, I probably would go with uh, with Marjorie Tyrell because I think she's the the one that the. Oh, Josh- you know, actually, that was my choice too. Now that you mention it, she's yeah. hot and she's smart and she's loaded. Yes, and and by loaded, I mean in every way possible. So, <laughs> so you know, it's, it's got to go with her. Um, I might go with you with uh, Greet for for uh, for banging, assuming that she gets to bathe. Beforehand, because oh, okay. you know she's a wildling, and all right, all that right. Long, she gets and, to bathe. And you said that Elena Redwin would be the one you would take out. Who? The, the grandmother of of um, the one you want to marry. Yeah, Marjorie's mother or grandmother. Because let's be honest, if I'm marrying her daughter or granddaughter, um, and it, it probably would not end well. And more importantly, she seems like she's probably the most dangerous character on the show. So. <laughs> she's awesome. I, I, just, yeah, she's she's absolutely fantastic. Um, but no, I no, I I would not. If I'm marrying into that family, I couldn't trust her behind my back. I just I couldn't. So I'd be waiting oh. for the knife between my ribs. Because really, Marjorie had to marry me. That would just be marrying down so far. It wouldn't be funny. <laughs> all, right. all right, all right, all right. So so let's get into the topics, the plots, the characters, seriousness. I mean, we we want to. We don't want to be just the, the beer and, and and wino. Yes, we want to be serious about the fictional world with dragons. That's right, exactly. So where where should we begin? All right, so uh, there's a lot of big changes that, that occur. There's there's a big thing that happens with the Black Watch. There's a big thing that happens with um, Rob Stark and and his, his army. There's a big thing that happens to uh, Jamie Lannister. There's a uh, a marriage, uh, several marriages. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say more than one. Yep, yeah. So, so there's a lot, a lot of uh, interesting uh, things that occur um, in the in the po- podcast. I mean, in the show. And uh, where would we want to begin? Which characters do we want to start first? So let's 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 since we brought it up, or or Mike, you brought it up about uh, marrying and taking out. Why don't we talk about that family there, uh, Marjorie and her grandmother, and what's going on there? And why they're in the show with the Lannisters at the uh, the capital, basically, and why you're so worried about the matriarch of that family. Well, I think well, like, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, I don't know why you're listening. But the show follows about eight or nine different threads, right, of characters, and they don't really over disconnect until the end, which I think some people were complaining. Um, that it doesn't feel like much happens in any individual episode, you know, because how much marching around in the snow can you do? Um, because they give you a little bit of each storyline in each episode. You know, you really have to watch the entire season to see obvious progress from one point to the next, you know, for most of the, the, the plot lines. Though, and so, though there is some big things that occur in the first, you know, three or four episodes with the, the Black Watch and their leadership, as well as the Sully, which is a slave army. With uh, right, well, usually something happens in like big in one or two of the nine threads, and not much is happening in the other seven. You know, so I think that's and it rotates as to when which one the big event happens in. Sure, but um, so the, really, there's not a lot happening back at um, at the Red Keep, right, which is the capital, right? That's where the Lannisters are are headquartered, and where the Battle of Blackwater was, and all that. In the, the previous seasons. Right. But you have, um, 
Prince Joffrey, uh, sorry, King Joffrey, who, if you've uh, missed it, is still as much of an ass as ever. Yeah. Uh, basically marrying Marjorie Tyrell, who had previously been married to the the other he Baratheon. He hasn't married her yet. Well, he's going to, right? He's engaged to her. And so her grandmother comes in, and you really have everything kind of overlapping that happens there with Tyrion and Cersei and uh, Littlefinger and Varys and Sansa, you know, all of that kind of, and Tywin all gets kind of wrapped up in, in one storyline going through the season. They all kind of get knotted together because you have this issue of what do you do with, with Sansa? What do you do with, uh, Tyrion, who was really the hero of Blackwater, even though nobody's giving him credit for it? Um, and that's bullshit, you, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. What happens with Cersei and, and all this other stuff? But so grandmother Tyrell comes in. Played by um, Emma Peel. Uh, I can't remember what her the, the actress's name is. You see him? but red one. Red no, one. the actress who played Emma Peel on the Avengers. It's uh, Diana Rick. Thank you, Diana Rick. Okay, and she is absolutely awesome. Uh, she she is. She does not look the same in a, a svelte leather suit as she had back in the sixties. Um, in fact, she's pretty much wrapped head to toe um, in this. But she is. I've got a razor sharp wit. And at various times, she she does like verbally spar with um, with Peter Dinklage as Tyrion and with uh, Varys, and more than holds her own with the two characters who have oh, and, at this point and, been shown to be the most clever characters in the series. Well, and, and you forgot also uh, T- uh, Tyron as well. She she yeah has a big scene with as well. Oh uh, right, where he says what you never <laughs> yeah you never cross swords with anyone any of any of your uh, with any of your friends. Yes, which by swords she meant penises. Thank you for the clarification, Mike. Man, that's like yeah. direct out of uh, Dr. Horrible there. The hammer yeah. is my penis. <laughs> so uh, anyway, could, uh, continue, Mike, as you were, you were saying. Before. Um, and so yeah, so it was just kind of an awesome thing. And, and they uh, there's a lot of scheming. Like they plan on marrying um, Sansa to the gay Tyrell, um, the Lord of Flowers. To marry him off and get him taken care of and you know, sort of secure. They want to secure the uh, the heir to uh, heir to the north because Sansa is still a Stark, and they're assuming that if the uh, the Lannisters win the war, then Rob Stark's not going to survive, and therefore they need somebody with legitimate claim to the 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 throne of the north. So they're going to marry Sansa Stark into their family. They are the second most powerful family in. Uh, Westeros, they're sort of the second wealthiest at the at any rate, and obviously they're marrying uh, Prince Joffrey, which ties them in with the Lannister family, um, and that creates some political intrigue because then uh, Tyrion gets not Tyrion Tywin, uh, the father, Charles Dance, Charles Dance, who again is still absolutely fantastic in in his part, you know, d- decides to pull the rug out from under them and instead weds uh, weds Sansa to to Tyrion the dwarf as his reward for saving um, saving the Red Keep and turning the tide of the war. And and even better, <laughs> even better, for those who, who like a little bit of, of um, you know, a little bit of delicious justice, is plans to marry Cersei off to the gay Tyrell. Yes, and yes, sort yes. Of, And off the bloodline there because, well, he's the gay Tyrell and she's about ready to go through menopause, so the odds of there being any children coming through that, that marriage are pretty slim. And uh, I love the scene where uh, 
Tywin informs them of what's going to happen. And that's what he does. He's not giving them a choice in this. He's informing them of what's going to happen. And uh, he t- he says uh, first that Tyrion is going to marry Sansa. And uh, first, first I, th- I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Tyrion says... That's not fair. And at first you think he's complaining about himself. And he follows it up with, she doesn't deserve that. <laughs> so he's like, uh, aware that, that marrying him is not a great respect for, uh, for any, you know, single females out there. Uh, and well, then, I think that's uh, one of the great things about the character is that he's always self-aware and he yeah. has that line in the first season where he says, I'm a dwarf, you know, it's, you know, you're a cripple, you know, it's like we're saying, you have to be recognize what you are. Exactly. Uh, and then Cersei is sitting there for the whole scene just laughing at him. Ha ha, you have to marry Sansa. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. And then at the end of the scene, he turns around and he's like, oh yeah, and by the way, you're marrying the gay one. And she's like, what? <laughs> I just thought that whole scene played out very nicely. Right. And, and it, even that's a take on, uh, sort of a carry through because they're at the, um, was it the, the small council? Mm-hmm. And there's a, wonderful scene in like one of the first couple episodes where the small council meets for the first time with uh with tywin now as the new hand of the king yeah and you have uh cersei sort of drag her chair over to be next to daddy <laughs> right as fishing and so Tyrion drags his chair to be at the opposite end of the table so he gets the second head of the table <laughs> you know and you see so you see this little this, this very wordless banter between them and then you know in scenes when they have together where they're bantering back and forth and this this obviously the sibling rivalry of these characters jostling for for recognition from daddy and for power and to just see them both get screwed over completely here especially i weirdly feel sorry for cersei because you know she's been saying all along that she's been cursed because she's a woman and you know she got promised to be the wife of uh you know this fat drunkard even if he was the king you know and she never got to play swords like her brother did and she never you know her fate's always been decided for and she finally escapes out of one loveless marriage and she's about to be dumped in with the Lord of Flowers. Well, and I also like how Tywin just puts her in her place because when when she goes, she says, "But I'm the queen," and he goes, "The queen regent." <laughs> He's just like, "Yeah, your king is dead. Don't you forget it." And we're about to have a new queen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So she's kind of, but but you know what? I don't feel sorry for him at all because they're all wealthy bastards. Well, and who would? Yeah. <laughs> she's I, really. I, no, it's not wealthy that I have a problem with because I like the Tyrells and they're she's an they're evil really bitch, good. but she but is I, an evil bitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't think any of us are big fans of Cersei, <laughs> nor like her son, character. for that matter. I like the character. I think they do give her some depth. You know, and she talks about there's that wonderful scene where she talks about how the saving grace in her life was was having her children, and that's why she implores Tyrion to have a child with Sansa, mm-hmm. was so that her life can be somewhat bearable. Right. Um, and to me, that comes across as being genuine, not as her trying to screw over her brother, but she's actually shows a bit of humanity. And again, I talk about in the last, we, we argued about this in the previous podcast, but I do think she had, there is part to her that's been put upon that doesn't like what's been, been uh, forced upon her because she's a woman. And you can empathize with that. She well, is I, a bitch. There's no well, question. I, well, Eric, you, you and I have read the books. We know, the character a little differently than even in the, the show and in the book she is even more evil <laughs> right i mean we know that she was the one that killed uh her husband we know that she 
didn't have miscarriages with her husband. She aborted them because she didn't want children with him. So she, you know, all these, she's a really, really bad. Right, that's the one thing that they haven't said on, because they do make it really obvious that she killed, um, Robert. Right. Uh huh. But yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that she's not evil, just that there are elements to her character that I can empathize with. She's not completely black and white as a character. There are some shades of gray. It happens. Uh, to and that's and that's part of the and that's part of the enjoyment of this whole story of the whole Game of Thrones universe is there really is no. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure that generally uh, the Starks are written as the protagonists of the story, uh, but generally there is no black and white, good and bad. There's a whole lot of gray area. I came out where Jon Snow and Sam. Tully, uh, yeah, Tully, uh, the only two, quote unquote, true good people on the show. There's no, uh, there's no real great with either of those two characters. Yeah, okay. Well, I think Sam is. I think John, you could argue, I mean, in circumstances, but. Well, well, uh, he has, he has cer- certainly does lie to, to infiltrate the wildlings and lies to, uh, Ygritte, despite the fact that she's freaking hot, or <laughs> more likely because she is. But I wouldn't call that. Black and I would say that's war or digging. No, but he, it does kind of. He does. He does end up putting her in a bad situation because of what he's doing. That's true. It's, it's a. It's a. It's a minor sin. Don't get me wrong. Um, but is it the most noble thing? If he was doing the right thing, he should have kept his distance from her. But he needed to seduce her to sort of get um, into but bed you know, with, with the wildlings, for lack of a but, better term. But you know, you know what? She, she's. I have no pity for her anyway because. Her character at points says to him that it's just me and you. We're replaceable by our army, respective leaders, and really all that matters is, is us and this and that. And they don't really have any allegiance except for themselves. And then what happens is you find out she's her allegiance is really has always been with the wildlings and and has never been as she claimed. At least that's what I got out of it. So she's you know I mean. But 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 as a hot woman, she's always gets forgiven. So <laughs> uh, I want to I want to go back to uh, the Tyrion and Sansa storyline for a moment um, because they do end up getting married during this season, uh, and the wedding is uh, actually kind of interesting because the king, being Joffrey, the little bastard, uh, decides that it is his right to give away Sansa since he is indeed the king. And so that happens, and he goes up there, and during the wedding ceremony, apparently part of the Westeros wedding ceremony is a symbolic cloaking of the bride by the groom. That uh, he's uh, putting a cloak around her to protect her as uh, part of his vows to be her husband and protect her. Uh, and because Tyrion is a dwarf, they have a, a stool up there ready for him to stand on when the cloaking part of the ceremony comes. And Joffrey just kind of when he uh, walks up there with Sansa to give her away, just kind of picks up the stool and walks away with it to leave Tyrion standing there, unable to reach his bride's shoulders to do the uh, symbolic cloaking. Uh, and I really just thought that was a great way to illustrate just what a fucking prick Joffrey is. Yeah, well, we do find out later from Cersei's, assuming she's telling the truth. Uh, actually, we, we find this out in, I think, episode one of season three, where he, Tyrion ask Cersei's, is it you or is it your son that tried to have me killed on the battlefield at Blackwater? Uh-huh. And she says that it was Joffrey. Uh-huh. So, 
So they um, from well, she she implies that it was Joffrey. Yeah, right. So she, and that he goes, well, I just want to know if I'm still in danger, and she goes, probably. So at, basically, from I guess the episode or two before Blackwater, which was probably episode seven of season two, we get an idea that Joffrey and Tyrion despise each other with a passion. Because prior to that, I don't think they even had a real opinion on each other. <laughs> right. I do think it was interesting. Um, see, because I had sort of been spoiled. I'd heard of the Red Wedding. Right. Okay. I didn't know exactly what the Red Wedding was other than, you know, people saying, you're not going to believe the Red Wedding. Wait till you get to the Red Wedding. Uh-huh. Uh, and the name has implications. Well, obviously the name has some implications, but of course red is also the color of the Lannisters. Yeah. Yep. Um, and there are three weddings that are set up in this season. Uh, well, actually four, right? You have uh, Tyrion's wedding. You have Cersei's wedding, which we don't see this season. You have Joffrey's wedding, which has been in the making for some time now. Which we don't see this season. Which yeah. we also don't see this season. And then, of course, you have uh, the... Uh, uh, the, the wedding with um, oh, oh um, uh, Tully, but the Tullys, right? So I'm thinking, well, nobody gives a shit about the Tully wedding. I wasn't necessarily expecting that to be a big deal, but I was thinking, okay, here we go. We're gonna, we got that. Th- this might be it. This is going to be Tyrion's wedding. This will be the big red wedding. Something's big going to happen, and you, know, you get that moment where he's drunk and he threatens to cut off Prince yeah. jo- King Joffrey's cock, and yeah. um. You know that, that's where that could have ended badly. <laughs> boy, that could have ended badly. But then it you know it, it turns around and becomes uh, deflated when he has to when he realizes he's taunting a psychopath and has to sit there and mock his own manhood for in front of his entire wedding party. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole thing of Joffrey taking the stool away from from Tyrion was probably the nicest thing he did did all season. Yeah, <laughs> he could be right. <laughs> and everyone kind of giggles a little bit. As I imagine most of us would if you were in that circumstance, um, yeah. because it's just awkward and it's obvious and it's it's still funny whether you whether, even though you know it's not nice to giggle, you would. But people try to restrain themselves, except Joffrey is there with his big shit-eating grin the entire time. Right. And, you know, it, he really is just a punk-ass bitch, really just. Yeah, he really is. I don't know when and I don't know how, but he is going to get his and I can't wait. And uh, and I gotta say, I do like the fact that Tyrion. Uh, I mean, Tywin pretty much orders Tyrion to impregnate Sansa. He's like, "This is your duty as a Lannister. You need an heir. Go have sex with her right now." And they have the betting ceremony that they're fond of in Westeros, where they, where they, uh, or at least they tried, uh, but Tyrion put a put an end to it, and that's when he threatened Joffrey. Uh, but then they end up alone together. He's in alone in a room with uh, Sansa, and basically tells her, "Look, uh, I know you don't deserve this, but it's done. I can't stop it any more than you can. I know you don't deserve it. I know you deserve better than me. Uh, but this is the way it is, and all I can do is promise you that I won't sleep with you unless you want me to." And she says, "Well, what if I never want you to?" And he says, "And so my watch begins." And I thought that was a great line because it's also yes. what they say uh, at the at the Night's Watch where they swear celibacy. Uh, so, and, and I, I think that... you have to remember that that Tyrion is is a bit of a prick in his own right. He is by far the beloved angel of the Lannister clan. Yes, but his father's criticism that he was a, a drunken whoremonger really wasn't 
wrong. It's a part no. of his character. That no, it's he, not. It, it's not. It's not. It's not an unfair characterization of him. But we've actually seen him grow considerably since um, the beginning of this, the season, and obviously, Daddy hasn't. Um, but when we meet him, he's, that drunken whoremonger is definitely what he was, even if perhaps his family helped push him into being that. Well, let me right. ask you this, because you mentioned that he's the the, the quote-unquote good Lannister. And, you know, I mean, we have some changes with Jamie, you know, as, but, you know, he's guilty already. But the father, Lord Tywin, even though he's a prick and he bosses around his kids all the time and he actually insults them every so often – what has he actually done, in the, at least that I know of as a character, to that's evil? I mean, he's, he, he's raised Cersei. Uh, that's that's and you know, his main one. Um, I, you're right. I don't know that if I could peg that he's ruthless. Is I think what I would say. Yeah, I would call him more ruthless and and a, a winner. And he fights to win. Not he knows that you don't fight fear, you fight to win. And everything. Oh, wait, I, I, I'm sorry. Are we talking about Jamie here? No, no, we're, we're talking, talking about the dad. Oh, okay, Tywin. Okay, Tywin. Yeah. So, so, but he is a ruthless and he is a prick. But I don't know if he's truly what the definition of evil would be called. Like some of these other characters. Uh, I don't know. He's well, he's well. I don't know that he's had an advantage uh, or the opportunity to do that necessarily. He's but I, in some way he reminds me of your favorite guy. Actually, you know what? Um, the, of Stannis, because he is so beholden to duty and so beholden to uh, to succeed that he will, yeah, that he will justify what he has to do through that. Well, and I'll say that this. may be in doing books, things that aren't so nice. In the books, I guess he is definitely evil because in the books he has the mountain, which is the with the older Clegan brother, uh, go out to the northern lands and the the river running area and all that area and just slaughter everybody and even if whether the civilians or not just burn and pillage everything so by i guess saying do that you know that's bad but in the show it's it's not as obvious because they don't really even though the show is great they don't show the the burning of winterfell they don't show the mountains uh attacks out in the the you know, the regular lands and stuff. And so we just hear about it through, you know, exposition. And um, so if we count that, then then I guess the Lannister character is bad. But Eric, that, or was you, Mike, uh, that you guys compared him to Stannis in a sense where duty and uh, so forth. And I, yeah, I guess that that's not a bad comparison. Um, I, yeah, but I, Tywin's not a nice man. Uh, no, but I also really enjoyed him. Go, I'll go back to season two, and some of my favorite moments in season two were his interactions with with Arya. Um, and oh, don't said, get me wrong; I think the character is awesome. I'm just, right. I'm just not okay. saying he's and, good. That's all. You know, you know what though? Uh, he he rips Joffrey, uh, uh, Hell and High Water, the, a number of times. Oh, oh well, yeah, he does. And there's a, there's a great line after uh, Joffrey gets pissy with him, um, and and Tywin says to the to the manservants. Uh, the king is tired. Why don't you show him to his quarters? <laughs> and Joffrey's just screaming, I'm not tired! I'm and, not tired! And, and they instructs uh, Varys to drug him. Right. Not, not, so they, not Varys, the older guy there. Um, oh, oh, uh, yeah, okay. The Meister, uh, Pricell. Yeah, exactly. So they basically drag him off to bed and Tyrion turns to Tywin and says, you just sent the most powerful man in Westeros to bed without his supper. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, it says you're a fool if you think that he's the most powerful man in Westeros. Yeah, yeah 
He goes, then Tywin, uh, Tyrion says, armies make you the most powerful. Uh, mm-hmm. Not the title. Killed a few puppies today. Show him. Come on, show him. Oh. Apologies, my lord. Old fingers. Roslyn caught a fine fat trout. Her brothers gave her a pair of wolf pelts for her wedding. Signed, Walder Frey. Is that bad poetry, or is it supposed to mean something? Rob Stark is dead. And his bitch mother. Write back to Lord Frey. Thank him for his service, and command him to send Rob Stark's head. I'm going to serve it to Sansa at my wedding feast. Your Grace, Lady Sansa is your aunt by marriage. A joke? Joffrey did not mean it. Yes, I did. I'm going to have it served to Sansa at my wedding feast. No. She is no longer yours to torment. Everyone is mine to torment. You do well to remember that, you little monster. Oh, I'm a monster. Perhaps you should speak to me more softly then. Monsters are dangerous, and just now kings are dying like flies. I could have your tongue out for saying that. Let him make his threats. Hmm? He's a bitter little man. Lord Tyrion should apologize immediately. Unacceptable, disrespectful, and in very bad taste. I am the king! I will punish you. Any man who must say, I am the king, is no true king. I'll make sure you understand that when I've won your war for you. My father won the real war. He killed Prince Rhaegar. He took the crown while you hid on a costly rock! The king is tired. See him to his chambers. Come along. I'm not tired. We have so much to celebrate. A wedding to plan. You must rest. Grand Maester, perhaps some essence of nightshade to help him sleep. I'm not tired! the most powerful man in Westeros to bed without his supper. You're a fool if you believe he's the most powerful man in Westeros. A treasonous statement. Joffrey is king. You really think a crown gives you power? No. I think armies give you power. Mm -hmm. Rob Stark had one. 
never lost a battle. And you defeated him all the same. Mm. Oh, I know. Walder Frey gets all the credit. All the blame, I suppose, depending on your allegiance. Walder Frey is many things, but a brave man... No. You never would have risked such an action if you didn't have certain assurances. Which you got from me. Do you disapprove? I'm off for cheating. This is war. But to slaughter them at a wedding... Explain to me why it is more noble to kill 10,000 men in battle than a dozen at dinner. So that's why you did it? To save lives? To end the war. To protect the family. Do you want to write a song for the dead Starks? Go ahead. Write one. I'm in this world a little while longer. To defend the Lannisters. To defend my blood. The Northerners will never forget. Good. Let them remember what happens when they march on the south. All the Stark men are dead. Winterfell is a ruin. Roose Bolton will be named Warden of the North. Until your son by Sansa comes of age. I believe you still have some work to do on that score. Do you think she'll open her legs for me? After I tell her how we murdered her mother and brother? One way or another, you will get that girl pregnant. Will not rape her. Shall I explain to you in one easy lesson how the world works? Use small words. I'm not as bright as you. The house that puts family first will always defeat the house that puts the whims and wishes of its sons and daughters first. A good man does everything in his power to better his family's position, regardless of his own selfish desires. Does that amuse you? No, it's a very good lesson. Only it's easy for you to preach utter devotion to family when you're making all the decisions. Easy for me, is it? When have you ever done something that wasn't in your interest, but solely for the benefit of the family? The day that you were born. I wanted to carry you into the sea and let the waves wash you away. Instead, I let you live... And I brought you up as my son. Because you're a Lannister. Well, that gets back to the the riddle from season two, right? Which is where is the the real power lie? And that's something Joffrey hasn't quite figured out yet. That it's where people it's where people believe it is, and Joffrey hasn't figured out how to make people not hate him. Right. Well, well, well because he's he, yeah, he's truly an honest sociopath, and well, I mean, and plus there's there's. There's another great line from Tywin, which is that Joffrey's always screaming about, I'm the king, I'm the king, and Tywin says, anybody who has to say that he's the king is no king. Right, exactly, and that's actually in the same scene. Um, the thing that really shows you what type of idiot Joffrey is as a leader is when Cersei's and him are, you know, he's trying on various clothing for a future wedding, and Cersei's is basically trying to influence him to hate Marjorie, and she says, 
Um, but he, he, she goes to, she went to the orphanage and, and, you know, knows how to just hang out with like these rabbles or whatever. And he goes, why do I care about that? I don't even care. And the point is, is that he, she's doing it because it's public relations. And by right. doing it, it makes her popular with the, the people. And he's so stupid to not understand that he could do the same thing. Instead, he just says, you know, off with your head, basically, to anybody and everybody. So, Well, and it's also really interesting during this season watching Marjorie just totally manipulate Joffrey. Uh, she's she's making him dance like a puppet, uh, <laughs> and he doesn't even know what's going on. Well, I, I mean, love this. I do love the scene where she uh, sits down with uh, Sansa and asks, tries to get an, an honest opinion out of her about what Joffrey's like. Yeah. Uh, which is what the grandma is terrified of saying anything. Because bad about she knows it's going to come back and bite her in the ass because it's, you know her family has been so royally screwed over by the uh, Lannisters. By the Lannisters at this point, and so it's it's nice to see Marjorie is not an idiot. She knows she's marrying a monster, but she's doing whatever she can to mitigate the circumstances. Joffrey's such a sick, twisted little bastard. Uh, he's got this big ass crossbow that was, I guess, somebody gave it to him as gift. And she's just like totally playing on his sickness to get him to like her better. She's just like, "Oh, Joffrey, let me touch your crossbow." Oh God, yeah. But you know what's interesting about that, Eric, too, is that that's the scene directly after uh, Cersei's is trying to influence Joffrey that Marjorie's bad or not, you know. Mm -hmm. And that next scene, he is in there with his crossbow, and she comes in. To the, his room, and he's polite to her, and then suddenly he brings up, uh, and basically threatens her in a sense, and then she turns it all back on top of it by playing the dumb woman again, like, "Oh, I like your crossbow," and it works completely. And then he falls back into uh, favoring her and not thinking, you know, thinking his mother's an idiot. So yeah. she play, yeah, she definitely knows how to play the politics, and she wants to play the politics because she wants to be the most powerful person it appears in the realm and to do so is to marry him and then become you know the the quote-unquote queen regent i guess but she also has to be smart enough to know that jeffrey is uh, joffrey is so hated by everyone including his own family that she has to be popular that when he goes down and again I can't imagine him being there at the end of the series that if she's seen as his bride and his queen, the people will tear her to pieces and she'll be thrown to the wolves. So she's, so to me, I think part of her manipulation is not just, you know, for, for political purposes, that's certainly a part of it though, but it's the fact that it will help her survive when Jeffrey goes down that, and maybe even be able to keep some power. Well, and uh, she's also, the Tyrells are no dummies. Uh, they actually have a certain amount of power to begin with. And, uh, they subtly remind Cersei of this at dinner one night when they're, they're talking about things and Cersei tries to say something derogatory. And, uh, Marjorie's just like, Oh, by the way, uh, my family's been providing all this food to your city, uh, during the war, uh, that you can't pay us for. Um, how's that working out for you? I'm sure I'm glad to be able to help the throne. <laughs> and she says it much more subtly than that, but it's just nice just watching Cersei like realize that she better back off or there could be consequences. 
Well, and it, this shows you the, the smartness of the Tyrells and the Lannisters versus uh, the boobs up north named the Starks. And, and See? Um, there you go. You're anti-Stark biased. And let me tell you why. is because they know two things. One, the way to power, as uh, Tyrion said to Tywin, is armies. So that's the first thing. And the, the second thing is, how do you get armies? And one way is to marry into them. And so by even though the Tyrells and Lannisters you wouldn't think would be friendly folks, they are because they both have the same goals, which is power they want. And to get the power, they unite their armies and they do it by getting people to marry. And as we know, the Starks, they kind of dropped the ball big time in this season because of, because of someone named uh, Una Chaplin. <laughs> well, the Starks, the Starks Achilles heel, and this goes back to Ned, you know, is the idea of honor um, and loyalty and, you know. Which is kind of funny considering that he has a bastard child. Well, again, I, this is one of the few things I, I, I know which is not resolved yet in the books is is exactly – who Jon Snow is? Who Jon Snow is, and it's we're we, we're taking Ned's word for it that it's his bastard child, and or you know we don't know really who the mother is, and um, I don't see any, any advantage to him lying about that. Well, I think the thing he would might lie about is who the mother is, and I've certainly oh, seen okay, yeah, I, I've seen some theories out there that suggest his mother may be more important than uh what. It was being led on, but that's, oh, really? Okay, but but that's but that's fan theories. Well, well, there's and a, that which we, which the, means very little. Well, and right, and the fan theory may be the father is more important. In other words, Ned. If for some reason it's not father, his, if he right. turns out to actually be you know Robert's bastard son, but I don't imagine why he would take him under his wing in that case. Mm. Well, well there's, but, even, there's even something else even on top of that that it could be, but. Right, so we're chasing down again a rabbit hole, but that could be. In other words, I think it's people who really want uh, uh, John Snow to be the one that that becomes the the king overall at the end, and they're trying to find some yeah I don't some justification that for that. But right, so that's all right. I um I see and this is gives you an idea of just how rich the show is because we've we spent an awful lot of time here on just one, admittedly yes. one intricate storyline that could be a season on almost uh, in and of itself on almost any other series. But it's one of like six. Do, yeah. do we want to stick with the Lannisters and, and move to, to the the bear and the maiden fair? Yeah, uh, let's do that. Yeah, all right, all right, let's do it. Um, now, if we want to talk about that John Snow thing, um, anybody who doesn't want to hear it, uh, you, you know, fast forward 20 seconds. But what the rumor is that all these fanboys are saying online is, is that John Snow is not the son of the Stark, Ned Stark, but is actually either a Targaryen. Uh, he's going to be the older brother of, or older brother of Daenerys or something, and he becomes the true king or something like that. That's he doesn't I'm, look like a Targaryen. And then, mar- and then he marries Daenerys, and the whole problem starts all over again. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> with a new inbred family line. That shit insane incestuous children. All right, so, all right, so let's let's stick back with the Lannisters. You said you wanted to talk about. All right, so let's. let's so then, Jamie, the other Brienne. Right, and here Jamie finally, I think, if this this does anything, it gives Jamie a bit of a, a softening to his character because he's been a right bastard since literally the first episode when he when he threw a small child out the window. Yeah, 
Now, not something that, that is how the series began, isn't it? Yeah. Now, that is not necessarily something that gets you put automatically in the villain book on the Dark Discussions podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I, he's a hero. Out, yes. Um, but for the most part, I think that's when viewers said, "Oh, this is probably not the nicest person," and that's the one thing I have to keep in my mind while while th- thinking about his character was just how quickly and callously. You know, and he just shoves uh, and flakes out the window, and you know, out he goes, and that's really what starts everything, right? That's what starts the shitstorm. And yeah, well, that's that's the thing. As a as a as a arrogant Lannister bastard, yeah, he they basically right from episode one of season one make him out to be a, a very bad guy because he pushes well brand. i gotta say though there was a moment in uh, i think it was in season two uh it's actually when uh catelyn is talking to him uh before she decides to uh that he needs to go back um but he's talking to her and and everybody uh the thing with with him is that everybody calls him kingslayer because he uh he killed the king and so therefore it's appropriate uh however uh, nobody knows his side of the story. Uh, everybody just knows that he stabbed the king in the back, which is actually what did happen. But there's a story behind it. And when Jamie tells his story about what the king was doing when he killed him, and, you know, uh, you about, it. yeah, you believe it. And there's the fact oh, no, that he but says, Oh, I do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, there's also the fact that he makes a pretty damn good point in that, they they made him take so many oaths that they are uh, counterintuitive, and uh, he was he was eventually put in a position where uh, there was no way to not break at least one of the oaths that he had taken. I think one thing that the show has trouble with is there's so much backstory and there's so much culture that you need to understand to understand everything. And I don't know that there's a way to do it. I you know they they handle it about as well as you probably can, but. When they have, um, in the, when you first meet him and he's being referred to as the Kingslayer, you don't really get the fact that that's not a, an honorarium, that that's not a, uh, an honorific rather, that that's not intended as a nice thing, that he's seen as a, you know, someone who betrayed his oath. Right. That's, he's he's seen as a traitor. Yeah, we hear, oh, he's the Kingslayer. That sounds like an awesome metal band. You know, it's, um, that (laughs) must be a cool dude. He did something awesome. No, he, the fact that he's called the Kingslayer is is really meant as a slight, right? I mean, it's not meant it as a compliment. No, right. And it takes a while for me, or it took, well, it took me a while to figure out that no, that every time he's called the Kingslayer, it's you know, it's sort of a you know, a stab in his in his back a little bit, you know, that it, it hurts him, you know, because he knows what he had to do, you know, and it's not people saying, oh, good job killing the crazy king who's about to destroy the world. But but you know what? Though a lot of it. Even if his story and justification is legit or not, the Lannisters, the problem is is that the way they the rebellion happened where Ned and Robert uh, Baratheon went out to stop this crazy king from doing what he was going to do and to overthrow him, what happened is, is the Lannister, Tywin Lannister, was just sitting, basically pulling a Walter Frey, and, and he was the late Tywin Lannister. He came you know, the last, and then he kind of tricked and said, I'm here to help, and then he slotted all of uh, Targaryen's men and all that, and they do it at the very end while Ned and 
Robert are the ones that are really kicking ass in, in, in the battle from, you know, beginning to end. And so the Lannisons are tainted in that rebellion. And then when Jamie did what he did and he's sitting in the, the throne when Ned and, and Robert come in, it, it was kind of, you know, it, it, put it this way, they, they're not too good at public relations. <laughs> right. This whole yeah. relationship between Brienne and Jamie uh, is really quite interesting because she's been tasked with bringing him back to, um, oh damn it, what's the name of the city? Uh, yeah, the King's Landing. King's Landing. King's Landing. Right. Thank you. Um, and she takes her her job seriously. She swore an oath to Catelyn Stark that she would get him there in one piece, uh, or well, alive. <laughs> Because uh, one piece doesn't really happen. Because uh, along the way, uh, there's there's this wonderful dynamic they set up between these two actors, uh, which is that basically Jamie's antagonizing her the whole time, uh, and he's basically daring her to do something bad to him, since he knows she's not allowed to. That's just kind of the jerk he is. And uh, eventually, because they he's to, a Lannister, <laughs> right? Eventually, they get to a point where she's had enough. Uh, and so they get the the point where they fight, they sword fight, and Jamie's thinking there's that uh, even though he's got shackles on at the moment, he can still take her because she's just a woman. Uh, and then a couple minutes into the fight, you see the look come over his face where he's like, "Oh shit, she's just as good as me, and I've got handcuffs on." <laughs> well, let's 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 be fair here. Um, but they've established, at least through words, if not actions, that he's supposed to be the finest swordsman in all the land. Well, he's been sitting in a prison for the better part of a year, and he's, you know, probably not been well fed. He probably hasn't exercised much, and, um, it does have handcuffs on. So. Right, right. There's, there's, basically there's, um, three people that are supposed to be the best in the land. It was him, it was the Mountain, Clagan, and it was, uh, the Lord of Flowers. And what happens is Brienne, Brienne, or comes in in season two, and kicks the ass out of pretty much everybody in that tournament. I think no, actually, it may have been season one. I can't season remember. two. She's, yeah. She comes at the beginning yeah. of season two. Yeah, and so, so that that proved that she was as good as all of them. And then we have the thing where um, uh, Jamie, like you said, we he was in jail for basically a year, and I, I, I it's hard to know that it was a whole year, but. Somewhere they say it, I forget where they say it, that he was basically in a cell for a year. And so um, that doesn't help. And plus you said perfectly, Mike, which is he is changed. Well, so, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not debating that it was a fair fight. Um, but there is the, the – Jamie's still got his ego, and that's probably his biggest flaw uh, or his biggest downfall as it is, uh, is his ego. And he's like, I'm Jamie F. and Lannister. I'm the best sword in the land. No way a chick can beat me, even in handcuffs. And then they start fighting. And he's like, uh, uh oh. Yeah, and, you know, and the lesson there so being that if you're if you've starved, you're out of shape, and your hands are cuffed, don't go kicking a bear. And and, and also it uh, shows in his other way he talks too, because he always talks to people like, oh, my father will give you more money, or about this or that, or you know, and and it's all like you said, it's his. His ego, it's his the way he was brought up, and and, and everything. So he, and plus he's quote unquote the best fighter, a swordsman or whatever. So yeah, his ego is definitely a, a big downfall for this character. 
Yeah. And he mocks her for being a mannish woman, for having never had sex with a man. Uh, you know, he just is mocking her at every opportunity. That's then true. you assume that he's doing it to get a chance to escape, or I do. You know, that if he can provoke her into doing something or, or being careless, he can find an opening. Um, but, you know, he's, he's also does it in, the, in the, the most dickish way possible because he's a Lannister. Yeah, at a point you, you think he's a sociopath almost, but... Basically, what occurs and what happens and all this—he obviously wasn't, but he was definitely. It made him look, if anything, and what it is is he's really just a egoistic or uh, narcissist or something like that. Is more so, what ends up happening is while they're while they're fighting, well, and it's pretty much at the point where uh, Brienne has beaten him. Uh, these people ride up, and uh, it turns out that the, this farmer that they had seen before, which Jamie, to be fair had suggested that Bran kill him. And Bran was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, basically went and turned them in uh, to somebody for a reward because he recognized Jamie Lannister as a wanted man. Uh, right. So he turns them into these people. They're and the they get... He turns them into uh, the men of, of uh, Ross Bolton. Yes. Um, and, and the guy that, that leads this group is Noah Taylor. Who's an actor that plays the, the um, uh, butler in the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider films, as well as the lead in Simon Rumley's film Red, White, and Blue? Oh, wow! Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's him. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't put that together. Uh, I should look at IMDb more often. Uh, <laughs> I, IMDb. The reason that we don't sit around going, God, where do I know that actor from? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For days on end. So uh, they get taken prisoner. And again, uh, showing that there's no real black or white. Once they're taken prisoner by this other group of people, um, Jamie actually does something decent. <laughs> because basically the men drag Brianne off to rape her, uh, probably repeatedly, uh uh, probably with more one man involved at the same time. Uh, and when he hears her start screaming, he randomly concocts this bullshit story about how she's the daughter of this guy on the Isle of Sapphires uh, and how they'd probably get a big reward from him if they were to return her intact. Um, at which point the leader of the gang calls off the rape and uh, and brings Brienne back. So Jamie saved her, uh, and it's kind of unusual that uh, after he's been this prick to her for so long, uh, he cares enough to do that. And now, let's remember, the, the nicest thing he'd done at that point was telling her just to lie back and take it. Yeah, right. Well, and he did actually mean that as a nice word of advice. It was, yes. you'll survive, just, just lay back and let him do what he you said, want. He said, pretend it's Renly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I didn't say it was. It was completely uh, right. without. Because she actually was like basically in love with uh, King Redwood before he killed. Yes. But when I first saw him say this and save her, I didn't think he was doing it just because you know now he had a, some sort of connection with her because they've been traveling together for whatever amount of months. I at first thought he was just doing it because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm. As maybe you know, we can get the hell out of here. If I well, can escape, there, there may yeah, be some on. of that going on. I'm not going to discount it, but at the same time, I think that he has come to have a genuine affection for her to some well, extent. 
that's what I agree. What what we learn shortly after it you're absolutely right but at the time when it first happened i was thinking this was just one of his concoctions to get her to somehow try to want to escape and then she'll take him with him again but um yeah and i think it's the fact i part of it is the fact that he's she's he's watched her make for lack of a better term the right decision or the moral decision in terms of not killing the the farmer even though it backfires but it's also the fact that she kicked his ass yeah you know that that's going to give him a little bit of respect for her because he values because the one thing he does and it's the only thing he does is play with his sword well, <laughs> and by and by sword I mean sword. Yeah, right. And, um, and, and, and I, that was once, an it's not a metaphor. That was an excellent point, Mike, too, about um, how he saw that she didn't want to kill the farmer. And the thing is, is at first you could he could have thought that oh, this is a sign of her weakness because she won't be ruthless when you have to be ruthless, but. It also could be, as you said, he saw her as a person of dignity, of humanity, and not just, you know, like him, someone that's different, not a Lannister. And she still uh, vigorously defends Renly, even though we all know that he was um, the Knight of Flowers gay lover and that he never touched her. For crying out loud, he, he flew a rainbow flag. And he never touched Marjorie. She's she's like when, he, when she's like, how dare you say that? It's not true. She's that don't be don't speak such so She still refuses, you know, to believe anything bad about Renly. She's still trying to defend his honor, yeah. even though he's dead and everybody knows what he was. And exactly. uh, yeah, he was a pretender to the throne. Too. It, it was the worst kept secret in Westeros. Right. Yeah. And he and he shouldn't he shouldn't even been a king because he. he had no right to, and I mean, because he had an older brother. I mean, that's what uh, the Tyrell woman said when Sansa and Marjorie and and the grandmother Tyrell all meet. Ty, the grandmother Tyrell insults Renly in front of Marjorie by saying, "Oh, he should, he was a pretend to the throne anyway because he had an older brother, and and there's two children uh, of Robert Bannister. This is uh, this is all." crap and, and then she says something about uh but since the the milk is already the, out of the outer you can't push it back in <laughs> but yeah then we get jamie trying to be a wise ass again by playing uh noah taylor's character up as if he's just this dumb greedy stupid person after you know oh he's just saved brianne and now he's greedy because he wants the sapphires that Brienne will bring if he trades her back to her father. He starts saying, could you untie me and give me food? And blah, yes. Blah, blah. Yes. And, and then, uh, yeah, this is the, I think the first big act of season three, I think, right? I think it was. Well, and it's also, I gotta say, one of the worst endings of an episode. Because <laughs> uh, it's the very end of the episode. And, uh, basically what happens is, is they lull Jamie into false sense of security, uh, lead him to believe that they're buying what he's selling. Um, and then they chop his hand off. And that's his how the episode hand. ends. His, his sword, sword hand, yes. That's how the episode ends. And then they cut into this punk rock version of the Reigns of Castamere. Uh, and then. No, really, so it wasn't, wasn't the Reigns, no, it was the, uh, I thought it was the main fair. Right. Oh yeah, you're you're right. You're right. Um, and but anyway, the, the fact that they launched into this rock song right after that happened was just jarring, and I really didn't like that. 
But that's just I, my I kind of got it as a punchline to a joke because that's kind of what it seemed like to me. Um, they were having well, a joke on Jamie. So I, I, for me, it worked, but I could see where it would be. Um, and, they, and they did sing that song earlier in the in that episode too. Yeah, yeah. Because um, after they get cu- captured and uh, Brianna and and Jamie are tied on the horse, there's all the men are uh, Noah Taylor's men are singing this. And then that's when, you know, Jamie was being a wise-ass still to Brianna by saying, pretend it's Renly when they rape you. <laughs> well, I guess I just don't think chopping somebody's hand off is a joking matter unless it's a child. <laughs> right. So, so uh, I, well, I like the ending, but if the music was jarring, fair enough. Right. So, now this, for reasons that you get to another plot line, but they do end up eventually working out an arrangement. With because uh, this is the um, they've been captured by the um, the, the Boltons. The Boltons and these these are the flayed men. They have the their sign is a picture of a man skinned alive. Um, <laughs> and they're and they're allies of the Starks. But you know, as you as you might guess, there's not a whole lot of flowers and puppies in a group of people that walk around with with uh, banners of people skinned alive. Um, yes, lovely people. Yes. And they do make an arrangement to have uh, Jamie transported safely to uh, King's Landing, uh, and we meet uh, we, knew to, we meet a new Meister, uh, Meister hand chopped off, whatever his name is, <laughs> uh, who, who, who treats the wound, and you basically get the idea that he's a uh, he, he was banned from well, he's a former Meister because he was doing some unethical experiments. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and while they send Jamie back, they they keep Brienne, and this is where the we get back to the bear and the maiden fair. Um, was he as that basically Jamie realizes that they're probably not going to be letting Brienne live, and right. says, and he insists that they turn the car around yep. and go back. That's right. To find that Brienne is uh, fighting a, a rather large. Uh, oh, yeah. and, yeah, a large grizzly or Kodiak bear. Yeah, and uh, man, some of it was CGI, some of it was not. There, when when you're seeing her back, it's a stunt person with a real bear. Yeah, but yeah, you it's it's you see like bears. The bear, the bear. By the way, uh, I don't know if I think it's a cousin of the bear. Uh, the the bear is called Bart Two. And the original Bart the Bear was a cousin of this one, and that was the star of the movie I fond of called The Edge. Oh, there you go. It's all, it's, well, it's Hollywood. It's all nepotism. Yeah, even even the bears have nepotism. Yeah, indeed. I got a nephew who needs a job. Uh, we got a thing coming up in Game of Thrones. Can you write a song about it? All right, fine. <laughs> a punk rock version. We want singles. So, right. so Jamie has now some feelings or dignity for humanity, at least for Brienne, anyway. And he basically saves her. And the thing that was interesting, too, is that he, at this point, and I don't know how it's going to end by the end of the series, but it appears he has no revenge or motive or want, well, he has a motive, but he doesn't want to have any revenge on Noah Taylor's person. Because he sees Noah Taylor later when he saves Bran, and he just says, I'm taking her and all that. But he's not, like, saying anything like, 
I'm going to kill you or you're going to, I'm going to get my revenge on you or whatever. And so I thought that was interesting because it showed him not only grow by actually you now loving or when I say loving is meaning um, a friend way, Brienne, but he also doesn't show the, like the typical stereotype of what most people would think, which is I'm going to get revenge. And I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah. And especially since he, you know, did cut his hand off. Um, well, that's what I mean. I mean, uh, if anybody has to have revenge put out on him, that would be Noah Taylor's guy character. But Jamie it was like, you know, it happened. I'm moving on. And that was interesting. I thought that showed another growth of what his character is probably going to become in season three. I mean, season four. Right. And what I think is interesting, I'm curious to see where they go with the character now because he is a different character. I'm not going to say he's all uh, warmth and cuddles, but obviously he's lost his hand. That takes away his one useful skill. Uh, you know, is he still going to be allowed to be uh, the head of the King's Guard without the ability to use a sword, or can he, or can he like, right. uh, like Wesley, can he also fight left-handed? Huh. Um, I'm curious to see how Cersei reacts to the love of her life coming back and the father of her children. Um, you know, kind of a beaten and crippled man. And is that going to change her opinion on him or will it even matter because she's going to go off and be with Sir Lawrence? Right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I know the answer. I know, I know you do. I'm just saying I haven't read the book. So that's what I'm curious about. <laughs> I don't want the answer. And I'm curious to see what happens with Brienne. Like, is he, is he going to, you know, is he have romantic feelings for her? Is it just a, re- uh, a respect of this person who stood beside him and protected him from so long, you know, where are they going to go with that? Is he going to get to scale the mountain? You know, where, what, what's, what's going to happen there? <laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll say this in the book. She is supposed to be completely ugly as hell in the TV show. She's actually pretty good. Looking. So, well, in the TV, she's not that attractive because they, they ugly her up as best as they can, but you can but she's still, yeah, you can tell that, that it's, they're not trying. This well, is a, an attractive woman pretending to be an ugly woman. And there is that one scene where they're in the bath together, uh, and he makes her angry, and she stands up. And I don't know if that was her or a body double. Uh, that was one rocking body when she stood up. Yeah. Well, there you go, taking Phil's thing again. You know. Yeah. So it'll be curious to see. But as the as a member of the King's Guard, he isn't supposed to be married or dating or anything anyway. So that puts another wrench into anything, even if. There is well, again, and that's the question is, now, what use is he to his family if he can't be the head of the Kingsguard, or is he going to be the head of the Kingsguard again? Yeah, because no. he can't. He also doesn't have any right to Castle Rock either, their homeland, because the moment you become a member of the Kingsguard, you relinquish all claims to titles and to marriage. Right. Which is a point that Tyrion brings up when he has a serious discussion about that with Tywin. How's yeah. that for a segue? There you go. Yeah, but we already did that, that story arc. And you do get that nice moment when he returns to King's Land. Uh, was it King's Landing? Yeah, and and they, people just think he's another beggar in the street, <laughs> right? That's and right. and it, and it's and he doesn't respond with "fuck you, I'm a Lannister." Bow before me and scrape and kneel, you know, or my father will pay you off to do so. Right, right. that's what he, what he would have done in, on season one. Right. So clearly, the character has changed. Now, would he still be the one pushing Bran out the window if he saw him? shacking up with uh, Brienne? Who knows? Yeah. Um, so the question is, you know, how and, much and does he, he change? 
even if he has changed, he still he still has that crime that he hasn't you know been arrested for yet. Well, yes. you know, karmically, he's been imprisoned for over a year, and he's had his hand cut off. So I, I think, think that's appropriate punishment. Well, he crippled the child. He lost his hand. You know, he got crippled yeah. himself. So, so the question is: is who's at fault for all this mess? Is it is it oh, him? For throw, is it him for throwing Bran out the window, or is it Caitlin for arresting Ty, Ty, Tyrion for throwing? Oh, it's Caitlin. Actually, it's both Jamie and Cersei's fault for banging in the first place, even though they're brother and sister. I I disagree. I mean, yeah, it was a mistake. <laughs> Look, I mean, they, don't get me wrong. They're responsible for their own thing, and they're responsible for breeding a uh, uh, inhuman monster who got sat on, on the, the game, uh, the the Iron Throne. Um, and certainly, uh, Jamie should should have been punished for what he did. But his position in this period of in this sort of era obviously gives him a little bit of immunity. And Caitlin just decided to to stick her finger in a in a hornet's nest. And without thinking it through, and that's the problem is that she she didn't arrest Jamie Lannister. She arrested, you know, these one half decent or at least relatively inoffensive Lannister, <laughs> and caused a whole and stirred up a whole bunch of crap that started this. Because which the beginning of good segue, I guess, which is is Caitlyn Stark a reactionary idiot? And Absolutely, yes. Well, she's a reactionary. At the same time, let's – yeah. again, it's kind of looking at things from the right point of view and what did she know. She certainly didn't know all the details going on and yes, there's a certain matter of caution that that should warrant. But I remember a lot of people, myself included, thought it was absolutely awesome when she ended up arresting uh, Tyrion in the bar and summoning – you know, and reminding all of her bannermen of their loyalties and their oaths. No, that was awesome. And yeah, so – we were on. We were all cheering her on. Yay! Bring everything to war and destroy everything and get your well, husband's head cut and, off. And based on the information she had at the time, that was the right thing to do because somebody framed Tyrion. Uh, that, and that is correct. You're right. And that probably goes back to Littlefinger. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's his. So I take it back. It's, it's all Littlefinger's fault. <laughs> and and that's probably. How it's meant to be, because as they said, here's you know, the, in the other storyline was that here's a man who had no name, no title, uh, no armies, no money, and now he's got three of those things. No, but uh, I, although I will agree that she's a reactionary idiot, uh, you got to look at the other side of the coin there, which is that if somebody has your daughter uh, and has shown that they're clearly willing to kill people that piss them off, uh, would would you be willing to uh, to make a trade to get your daughter back? Well, that's that's the thing. Here it is: is you get the most important prisoner in theory, uh, which is uh, Jamie Lannister, and you don't use that chip accordingly. And she, her only goal is: let's see if I can try to trade him in. And get my daughters back, which is, first of all, stupid, because we're talking about Tywin, who doesn't fight fair, he fights to win. So the moment Jamie comes in, Brienne gets executed, and, and Jamie's free. So and <laughs> the, neither, the, neither the, the Stark girls are free, right? So that's stupid. Well, but so, the Stark girls, well, first of all, we nobody realizes that Arya is, is in the wind, right? Right, right, is right. That, and they haven't killed Sansa. Right. Jo- Joffrey hasn't done it because he wants to torture her, but 
I do think that even Tywin has his limits. And I think, I know this isn't, you know, earthly history here that we're looking at, but it's obviously comparable. This is what you do. If you capture a nobility on the battlefield, you don't kill them. You trade them. You hold them as a bargaining chip. Right. And they're, they're expected to be treated differently because they're nobility. And the idea is that, that the Starks will not harm, they will not cut off Jamie Lannister's hand because they don't want somebody cutting off Cersei's hand. They, 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 that there is some sort of mutual respect here going on. And at the same By time. By Cersei, I think you meant Sansa. Uh, Sansa, thank you. And at the same time, she's at this point where she's learned that, um, the, the, the Greyjoys have sacked Winterfell. Right. Now, they haven't received word yet that the little ones were dead, but obviously they've fallen into the hands of an enemy. Yeah, that's right. right. Um, that she has the, the bastard son that she never loved, and she admits to that. Um, she's got Rob, but then her two daughters, they're being held captive by the Lannister. She can't do anything to get the Greyjoys back. But here she's acting very much like what a mother I would expect a mother to do. And I can't be completely shocked or surprised that she did it. This is the reason why you hold on to the chip was to trade them, trade it away. Um, because but really, it, otherwise it, they should have just executed him long ago. Th- this demonstrates why, why she should, should in no way had any power or had any influence to the quote unquote king of the north because her stupidity uh, I don't know, I just, I, but see, I disagree. I don't think that she, that Brienne was going to get killed if she made it to King's Landing. I don't know what Tywin uh, would necessarily have done. All right, well, but the, I don't necessarily think that it would have been to execute the girls and and execute Brienne. No, she's to, she, and I, she's doing something that's desperate. They are gaining I, absolutely nothing I, by I, having. I, I have to interrupt because you're putting words in my mouth. What I said was is that they. I didn't say anything about killing the the, the Stark girls. I just said that he would. Get Jamie free, and he would have told, gave basically Brienne the finger and say, "I'm not giving anybody up." And if she said, "I, I demand," they would have just killed her. That's what I'm talking about. I, I see. I'm not even sure. Now, admittedly, I haven't read the book, so I don't know if he's different in the books. But he seems a little bit more hidebound in in the or hidebound no. enough in the, in the in the series that I don't necessarily know that he would. He he fights to win. He doesn't fight fair. So he wouldn't. And- he would still have the chips, and he wouldn't. And the question is, what would Jay, what would Jamie do? What what deal was struck with Jamie? And this is part of the problem of this having the off scene, uh, off screen rather, is that we never see the circumstances in which she she released him. Did she get Jamie's word that he would send the girls back? And, right. for, and for a desperate mother, it's 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 stupidity. It's still stupidity. I think. Well, I, well, what were they going to do with Jamie? What do you mean? So you're telling me if you had if you captured Rommel in World War Two, you would just say, "Okay, we'll give you back." Jamie's not a bro- Jamie's not Rommel. He's a sharpshooter, you know. He and with a sword. He, there's only so, and he's stuck at King's Landing because he's the King's Guard. There's no, only no. There really is not much that he can do. That's not true. He he was a, a head general of the of the um, the King's Landing armies, and that's what he was during the war, not just. The King's Guard, the head of the right, Okay, but really, how? Eff- I mean, the Starks have been winning every battle. They they repeat that several times. How good of a general could he have been? But 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 he's also the son of the the real king, which is which right. Is but what's the, the purpose? Of, but they they're keeping him alive. Why? Well, oh, because yeah, because they they're gonna if they if they were smart, they would have said, "We'll let him go. 
you uh, basically what it was is there was two things the the North needed. One was they just wanted independence, and that's what the deal Rob Stark sent originally, which is we want independence and left us alone, whatever, and a couple other stupid things. But that was the main thing. And the number two is we'll give you we have your son Jamie Lannister. You let us secede and become our own kingdom, and we'll give them back to you. That's what you do. Yeah, and they weren't going for that, clearly. Who? Who, the Lannisters? Right. Well, you don't just give them back. I mean, I, it's, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, I, I, I'm asking what do you, you – you keep him there. He's a trading piece. He's a bargaining yeah. chip. Yeah, they weren't right. using him at all. They've had him for a year. They've had this, this uh, money. Well, I, I think Phil's problem is that it wasn't done through official channels, and it right. wasn't Rob, the so-called King of the North, trying right. to make this trade. She snuck him off in the middle of the night uh, with with an unofficial guard to try and make an unofficial trade to get her daughters back. Am I right, Phil? Exactly, and okay. she she basically undermined her, the King of the North, her own son in the eyes of the Boltons and the rest of the Bannermen and the the Starks and all the rest because of what she did. I mean, that that was embarrassing as hell what she did. And then, of course, Rob Stark is now in a situation which is either follow the right, correct justice, which Starks do, which is basically take a sword and and the king chops the head off of the person he has to put to death. Or he does what he does and, and makes a jackass of himself even more because his wife, his mother now is a quote-unquote honored prisoner and then eventually by th- three episodes later isn't even a prisoner anymore. Well, and so he, he destroys everything. Well, remember, this isn't, this isn't just – this is now not just his mother. This is now the king's mother in, in their eyes. And of I, course he married someone he shouldn't have married too. Well, that's, that's the issue. I think I think Rob is just as big of an idiot as is uh, Catelyn. Oh, he's not a big bigger idiot. idiot. Yeah. He, I, see, Caitlin, I th- and again, I'm not saying what she did was necessarily the correct thing politically or strategically. I'm saying that as you know, looking at it as a uh, as a mother who has lost presumably four of her five children and is desperate to see two of them return to safety. Um, I can understand why she did what she did. But but she she literally ruined the entire. Well, uh, you know, the entire hierarchy of the North leadership by doing Well, but it shouldn't have. I mean, part of it is the fact that the Karstarks were assholes. Well, you know what? I don't know if they were assholes. Oh, no, they were. They killed two kids who had nothing to do with this. I mean, that's... That was after the fact. This is what happened. Well, that's it. That's what I'm saying is she couldn't have predicted that they would necessarily react in the same way. And this is something that maybe Rob should have acted on or not. And you have – you do have Tywin make the argument – and, you know, the other story where he says, you know, they have my son. You don't see me, you know, surrendering things or giving things up to see to the safety of my son. You know, they understand that there's only so much you can give well, up for personal a gain. There's an important line even for any of this nonsense. And what it was is he's sitting with, with Karstark and Karstark saying, you know, this is, we shouldn't be going to River Run. It's stupid. Uh, we should be doing this, this and this. And then he goes, he goes, uh. What's the real problem? And Kostak says, you know what the real problem is? This is what the real problem is. The first biggest mistake you did was you married that woman over there. And and it's true because Rob embarrassed his mother because his mother made a deal with the phrase. 
that you would No, he didn't just embarrass his mother. He fucked up his entire kingdom. Yes, exactly. So he agreed to marry the Frey uh, girl, a uh, Frey girl, and then he backs out of it. He marries this nobody. He pisses off Karstark because of it, because Karstark sees that we just lost all the phrase and all these other people. And then Karstark's son gets killed on the battlefield for nothing because he captured Jamie. Then another one gets killed while protecting Jamie. And then the mother, like an idiot, releases Jamie. And you, so you get you get two Starks that I mean, they, they put this way, they're not named Ned. It, that's <laughs> And to be fair, Ned sucked at the Game of Thrones, too. Right. All right. Well, you, that's true. That's true. But, but, uh, he was the first piece taken out. That's the problem. But, but he, he didn't have what it took either. Well, well that's because, right. That's true. But, but, so, so you have these idiots, and Karstark was, you could argue, was the same thing as, as, um, Caitlin, which is he's a reactionary too because he just lost two sons and then he's insulted because his king uh, doesn't even punish the woman who frees um, Jamie Lannister, basically. Right, but I want to point out, I want to you know that Caitlin did make the negotiation with Walder Frey. She did get that treaty signed or that deal made. That's right, and that and that, that substantially helped them in the battlefield. Number one, number two, and son- that Caitlin, what? The son fucked it up because she... Yeah, the son fucked that up. I'm just saying, I'm defending Caitlyn at the moment. And the second thing is that she told um, her son not to send Theon to see his father. Said that was a bad idea, and that completely blew up in his face. Because, again, you're, you're dealing with people who are expecting more rational behavior from others. Now... I would say she made one mistake. The mistake she made was in setting her son free, not her son free, um, Jamie, Jamie free. And, but I can understand as a mother, I can understand why she did it. And I'm sure she was willing to pay whatever price it was because she wanted her. If, if she was executed, I think she would be willing to deal with that as long as it meant her daughters or had a shot at being, uh, sent back. You know, again, it would be helpful to see what agreement she made with Jamie Lannister. Um, which I, which we didn't see, at least not on the show. Uh, and the question is whether or not Jamie should be trusted is a whole other issue. Um, of course, ironically being that this is the guy who crippled her one son. True. She doesn't but, know that, though. But No, she doesn't know that, but she knows it was the Lannisters. And at the same time, it's, it's Rob who screws it up because, and for the reasons that you said, he screwed up with the... Uh, and that's what's that's what opened this wound. And he really screwed it up by 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 banging his um, his French nurse or whatever she was. Um, I can't remember her name. And we Luna, part yeah. of us is from a, from a modern sensibility. Oh, and then then, was, then he executed Karstark, and what he should have done. No, was, he should have, no, he should have executed Karstark. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Karstark, absolutely should have. No way. No way, dude. Uh, no, no, I'm with Mike on this one. Phil, you cannot say that Caitlin deserved to be executed or from That's prison. That's the point. If he's not going to execute... No, you cannot, you cannot say that Caitlin's mother should have been executed for trying to save her children. Yeah, while my point. If, if, if no, and no was he, he wasn't saying a damn thing. He, was, he betrayed his king, he violated his orders, and he executed two children who gained him nothing but revenge. Okay, I'm, I'm going to... Stop this argument because Mike is getting heated over. Fight! Fit. Fight! Oh, I'm, over. Just, 
that's over, it. Fa- over fake characters. And, and, and that's and, all. And, and, what, and I want to point out that you're the guy who is complaining about torturing a child molester in uh, in uh, the other film. You, you, you're all over the place here, Phil. Oh, you're going below the belt now. Uh, okay, okay. So as, as I said, Mike is getting taken personal because for some reason he... I'm not taking it personal. I'm just saying I find a lot of inconsistency in the argument. Mike loves Catelyn. Mike loves Catelyn. That's what I'm thinking. I, I, I'm thinking that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so Karstock gets executed because uh, he gets revenge by killing the two Lannister nephews. And Rob, in my opinion, is a reactionary and decides to execute him with, even though certain people, including Caitlin, say don't execute him well and, and here's the thing rob's rob's penis uh destroyed him because <laughs> if he had just uh done the arranged marriage like he was supposed to things probably would have turned out a whole lot differently and a lot better for him but again and this is him being his father's son remember what's one of the first things we saw in in the in the series was uh ned stark executing the uh, the guy who abandoned the watch because that was his duty and he insisted on doing it himself. But he's a man who's beholden to his duty and his son is his father's <laughs> son. Duty. And yeah, I know he said duty again. And he does in some ways, and it's inconsistent because if he was if he was a truly his father's son, he would have married the 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 Frey girl that he was supposed to. But he betrayed his who betrayed his family there, and then of course he follows it because you know it. That duty demanded he killed the Karstarks when politically he probably shouldn't have. Well, and the thing is, he's inconsistent because, right. yeah, you know, really, if he's gonna if he's gonna go that route, he really should have executed his own mother. That's right, exactly, hundred well, percent. Well, that's assuming that you consider the the crime to be on the same scale. Don't necessarily uh, agree not, with that, that. That's not that's, that's not true. Uh, you can have the same there, punishment. It's both treason. You can you can exactly you can have the same punishment. For for the same different crimes, and in theory, both crimes deserve the, the head chopping off. But I also don't know what protection you get for being the king's mommy. Well, that's 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 right. Uh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Right. and and, they're, and, they're, and they're, look, that's 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 right. Has its privileges, and you don't get a whole lot of positions with more privilege than than king's mom. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that's exactly right, and and that was one of one of the things that Karstark mentioned as a matter of fact because oh you're, you're going to put her in a penthouse and you know in, instead of a prison and blah 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 and he was right he's absolutely right and 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 that's the thing is that stark rob that is didn't didn't do anything to try to make car stark not go off and get his revenge because he could have said all right this is what we're going to do and this is what we, and he just kept on blowing off his his leadership and even Ross Bolton said it he goes he goes he, I, I asked him to do all these things and he just kept on ignoring me completely and that's the thing he wouldn't listen to Karstak he wouldn't listen to Bolton he wouldn't listen to any of these people and so he's just going to make enemies out of those people well and while yeah. we're uh, we're we're talking about the Stark show we just follow this uh, to its logical conclusion. Well, let, let's just say I think that Rob's issue is that he's a tactically uh, on the battlefield. He's a good battlefield commander because, they, as I say, he keeps winning battle after battle. Well, in season but, two, in season three, he he, there's a lot of points where they're saying we're losing battles. So I'm assuming um, he's okay. losing in season three. But 
that's just the, the problem is he is he is he's a poor politician, and this is it's the game of right. thrones. And, it's not the and, game of swords. And the reason he's losing battles uh, is because he's lost allies because he's not good at politics. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Because he's his father's son, Indeed. and that brings us to one of my favorite scenes in the in the show, which, which is, was that they get summoned. They get summoned to wherever it was where the uh, the, the Tullys are from, because yeah, River uh, Run because the uh, Caitlin's father has died. I think that's correct. Old age, and you get to see the uh, the completely botched attempt at a Viking funeral. Ah, that um, was pretty funny. That was funny. But where you introduced to her, I guess it's her cousin. And her uh, uncle? No, 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 it's her, her brother and her uncle. Her brother and uncle. And the brother gets like three shots of the flaming arrow to try and set the, the casket on fire as it floats down the river and misses each time badly. <laughs> and it's all done silently and wordlessly until the uncle, the blackfish, steps in, pushes him aside and, and nails it on his first shot. Without even really just, trying. And, and just at the cool little moment where he, fought, he lets the arrow loose, he turns around, he doesn't see the arrow land, and he just throws the bow to the brother and, and walks off with like sort of a snort now, um, and as, as the arrow hits its target. It, what's interesting is, is that, and I would think you would agree with this, Eric, the books make Ed Muir Tully not as moronish as they do in the television show. <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are several liberties they take with the books. Uh, amongst them, uh, they make up a couple characters, they combine a couple characters, uh, oh, they gosh. add they add a couple little storylines. Like uh, uh, in in this season three here, um, Rob knocks up his wife, um, or I don't know if they ever get officially married or not, but he he knocks up the the, the woman he forsaked his yeah, arranged marriage for. Uh, and that doesn't happen in the book. Yeah, so so there's um, a, lo- a number of changes. Yeah, yeah. and that uh, Edmure Tully being a moron in the show is not the case in the book. He's he's actually fairly normal, mm-hmm. but he's a pretty lucky bastard. I got to say that. Yeah, because he didn't get killed, and he also got the, a piece of ass. <laughs> well, yeah, and not only look at the the, the fray with daughters, and look at the one he managed to get. Indeed. Oh, yeah, yeah, ten right there. Um, so, yeah, so, so, yeah, they go to River Run for the funeral, and, and, uh, Bolton and Carstock are pissed at that, because it takes away an opportunity to take out one of the Lannister armies, uh, specifically the Mountain, I think, and, and, you know, there's another thing that Rob screwed up in, because even Bolton, I think, said it to him, he goes, he goes, in war, you know, you gotta overlook certain things like funerals and, and birthday parties and whatever, basically. And, and of course, Rob Stock doesn't do that. And his point was, well, I gotta get the Tully people to join my cause, which I think he probably could have got anyway because his mother's a Tully. So it didn't, that didn't even make sense. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't even get that, so. No, but uh, this all culminates in uh, in the wedding. That's right. That's right. And uh, basically, what happens is that this uh, this marriage that you were just uh, talking about happens. Where uh... yeah, basically, what it is, right? Eric, it's the fray, fray to get the basically since the Carstocks leader is like executed by Rob like a moron. <laughs> the Carstocks 
just pack up and say, oh, we're just going home. And and so they leave. And so he loses like half of his army. Yeah. So he, he needs, even with the Tullys now on board, his army is basically nothing. So he decides that he's got to get the phrase back on board. And it's funny, too, is that the Lannisters keep on laughing about it. When they cut back to the Lannisters, they're saying, Rob Stock doesn't even have armies anymore. And You're right. So they're really trying to push us, the audience, to figure understand this. And so the deal is, and this is also around the time that you get the deal struck for Jamie Lannister on that plot thread. Okay, it, with the Boltons. Oh right, yeah, 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 right, exactly. And this is, yeah, exactly. And so what happens is, is that to get the phrase back on board, since the phrase in theory are Stark Bannerman, but. You know they ain't gonna help the stocks anymore after him <laughs> screwing the screwing Frey over. Right. But Frey says he'll join up if his daughter can marry a Tully, Edmure Tully, which is uh, Caitlin's brother, which would then align the the Freys and Starks. Um, I mean the Freys and Tullys as basically one family or one group. So River Run and Walter Frey's twin tower thing would be, I guess, you know, their new little power structure or whatever. I don't know how it works. But. <laughs> right. Frey is obviously a petty little man who's just lucked into a great strategical position. <laughs> right. And, well, and he knows he doesn't have much, but he's going to take what he has and milk it for everything it's worth. Right. And, and to be honest, I don't know. I mean, maybe he was at one time a great leader, but this is way before. I, I don't know if he inherited the, the castle from ancestors or if that was his castle that he built. But either way, it, it turns out to be a hugely strategic area. Yes. So they show up and uh, they uh, arrange this wedding, this new wedding, uh, and they go through the uh, formal apology of Rob to Walter Frey. Uh, saying that he was wrong for breaking his oath and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so this new wedding happens. And, uh, so we think everything's going to be honky and or dory, uh, between the, the phrase and the Starks. Uh, but that's not the way things happen. Well, and by the way, this is the second episode, um, in a row in which we have a wedding. And if, if you just said that separately, you know, disconnected from events. It would seem like an odd thing to do to have two weddings in a row. A series is repeating itself. It seems to be bad uh, creatively and structurally. But part of the reason is that you you get the Tyrion wedding to kind of show you how things are supposed to go. Right. The carrying of the, the off of the bride and groom, the putting the cloak on on the bride. Even though we saw that earlier with with um, with Rob's wedding. But it, it's there to serve as a contrast and to set everything up so you understand the situation for the wedding. And you do have this nice banter at the, this this wonderful scene where they where you have the not only the apology, but where uh, Frey is saying, uh, introducing all of his daughters and his granddaughters. And there's Walpa and Malpa. <laughs> I love it. And, and you can't remember all their names. There's, yeah, there's Ying and Yang, the twins. You could have had either one or both for all I care. And then there's... Uh, uh, Lita, Malda, Malda, Mary, eh, whatever. 
and just keeps going. <laughs> and it's clear he he just sees these girls as nothing but a burden on him, and he has no real attachment to them. Right. And then he says, "Let me see, let me see what you betrayed me for." And he brings, you know, has the the girl step forward, the the wife step forward, and he and he said, "You know, I would have broken a thousand oaths when I was your age to get a piece of that." Right. Um. And so they have some. They acknowledge the transgression, but they have fun with it, and you do get the sense of, well, it's the axe is buried, right? And uh, because he says, yeah, because he says, you know, uh, yeah, okay, I would have, I would have broken the oath for that piece of ass too. Yeah. So uh, you think everything's going to be okay, but uh, it's all a ruse to lull them into false sense of security. A ruse, and, uh, <laughs> Good one, Mike, and. Uh, that at the reception, uh, what happens is they do the bedding ceremony and those guys get whisked off to the bedroom. And then, uh, all, all of a sudden, um, a bunch of people leave the room and then they lock the doors and, uh, and Coldplay starts playing Reigns of Castamere. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the Reigns of Castamere starts playing at the wedding reception, which is a really inappropriate selection of music for a wedding reception because it's not really a very, positive song um and then in fact the uh, episode before we had been told that exactly what that song was 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 the lannisters destroying another house yes yes and uh so, so as soon as that mu- music starts playing uh catelyn figures out something bad is going on and then she notices that the uh the person sitting next to her i can't remember who it was what is is, is that Bruce Bolton? Think, yeah. uh is wearing armor under his clothes, and that's when she realizes what's about to happen, and this whole thing has been an ambush, and uh, basically uh, Walter Frey has everybody planted at this reception with weapons and uh, slaughters the Stark contingent, uh, starting with uh, the pregnant woman. Uh, <laughs> who gets... Oh, man, that was kind of brutal. And they, and they, don't, uh, and they, don't, and they don't stab her in the back. Or in the throat. Nope, no, no. It's uh, repeatedly right, right the baby in the stomach. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, <laughs> cringe-inducing, to be sure. And uh, and basically it ends up with almost everybody dead except for Rob and Catelyn. Uh, and, and Rob's uh, basically kneeling on the floor next to his wife, uh, who's dead, along with their child inside of her. And uh, he's been hit with a crossbow bolt. As has Catelyn. And, Multiple. uh, yes. And she starts trying to bargain with Walter to let them go, uh, saying, we'll forget about this, I swear. And, uh, while holding a hostage, uh, uh, for his, his, hostage. his wife. And she says, uh, I swear to the old gods and new, if, if, if you harm Rob anymore and don't let him walk out, I will kill your wife. And he my honor says, as a Stark and my honor as a Tully. Yeah. Walter yeah, Frey, Frey just Frey, says, "No, but Frey has a great line too. He goes, he does. He just goes, I'll find another. No, no, I, I'm not even talking about that <laughs> line. His his other line was, you already promised me one thing and you broke that. Why should I trust you now? Yeah, yeah, that is a good line. Yeah. And uh, so basically, uh, they kill Rob, <laughs> and Catelyn kills the wife, and then they kill Catelyn and everybody. And then worst dead. of all, worst of all." They kill the wolf. Yeah, I know you're going to say this. Oh, that was brutal. 
I actually think I felt worse when I killed the wolf than I did when I killed a robber. Oh, that's sort of a lot of online debates as to why do people always feel worse when they kill the animal. Well, well I'll, tell, um, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because Rob and Caitlin have no redeeming qualities. Well, I don't know about no. that, but the, was, but the, well, the, no, the wolf certainly didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I think you're the only yeah. one who feels that way, Phil. What's that again, Mike? I think you're the only one who feels they have no redeeming qualities. Yeah, you're right. I, I can't stand if, it. If, if I can say that, that, that Cersei has some redeeming qualities, you could certainly say there are some redeeming qualities for, for Caitlyn and and, uh, and, and, and uh, not Rob. Well, yeah, Rob. I'll put it this way. Cersei is, isn't an idiot. Well, let's not argue about this again. Uh, But what I did find interesting is right before we started recording, I did watch this episode again with the commentary. Um, And the actress, Michelle Fairley, uh, who plays Catelyn, uh, on the commentary, that was the first time she had actually watched the finished product. Um, And it was really kind of moving because she started... I mean, she watched the death of her character for the first time and started crying. Um, it yeah, was because, kind of moving. Yeah, because it, because you could tell that. I mean, it was still well done, but you could tell that it was a CGI throat cut with blood coming up. So she probably no, she didn't know that's how bad graphic and violent it was going to look until she probably saw it for the first time, right? Right, right. Yeah. And uh, and and she started crying, and the actor who plays Rob started crying a little bit too. Got choked up. So. Uh, I mean, it's kind of an emotional scene to begin with, but then listening to the two of them react to it, it was really kind of emotional. Yeah, but see, it, what it, it, it depends, though. It depends if you, you like the Stark. If you don't like, the no, Stark, no, it doesn't. It's still people dying. It's no, it isn't. It's, it's just characters in a, in a television. It, it depends on whether you're a fellow or not. Um, well, it's a character in the television show. They ain't real characters. It's just, it's just fake. Uh, it's fiction. Oh, Phil. God see, bless you. Um, now, for me. Look, I'm not. I'm not that. Big. Like I said, I expected the red wedding to be Tyrion's wedding. Obviously, uh-huh. that had come and gone with only minor incidents, so that clearly wasn't they were talking about. Yeah. And if you watch the past season of Game of Thrones, episode nine, they killed Ned Stark. Yeah. Episode nine in the second season uh, was the Battle of Blackwater, and now we're in episode nine of season three. You're noticing a pattern to mm-hmm. when big events play out. And it's always episode nine, in case you, you missed it. Um, and remember I said that I'd accidentally spoiled myself by looking things up? <laughs> yeah. The one, one thing I'd spoiled accidentally was that Rob did not survive the wedding. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I kind of knew he was going to get it. Um, however, my thought was, well, he's the guy who screwed over Walder Frey. And that will be the blood he takes, the revenge. I was not expecting everybody right. to go down. Well, and, and, I'd like, and it's I, not just the shock of it happening the first time, because on rewatches, it still is effective, because it is so brutal. And they draw it out so carefully, starting with, again, wisely, uh, from a, uh, I think, from a filmmaking point of view, starting out by stabbing the pregnant wife in the uterus. <laughs> Is, is just, okay, let's make people uncomfortable now. Right. And they don't just, it's not once, it's a, it's step, 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 step. You know, it's you know, a couple of quick jabs. And 
and drag it out, and you do have the death of, of the wolf for whatever reason that has its particular impact. Partly, I think, because it's it's all implied. You don't see it happen, but you do hear him get it, give his little doggy whine. Yeah. Um, well, you, and, know, you uh, have... I just wanted to... Arya inside watching it all happen, or kind of right. happening. So... I, I just wanted to mention when I read the book on this, um, because of, as is the case most of the time. The book is even better than uh, the film version. And uh, one of the things that's in the book that really you couldn't effectively translate to the screen is that in addition to all this, like I said, the the, the white character isn't pregnant in the book, so you don't have that shocker uh, value of, of the pregnant woman getting stabbed. Um, but everybody still dies, and there's still the scene with, with uh, Caitlin and the wife. Uh and the wolf gets killed. But then after that, what happens is, uh, and the way that George R. R. Martin chose to wrote, write it, it was a dirty trick. Because the very end of the chapter, after everybody's been killed in the wedding, uh, Arya tries to run into the castle, uh, to, to get to her family. And the way he writes it, it reads along the lines of, uh, and the hound brought the axe down upon Arya's head. And, and that's the end of the chapter. So <laughs> I'm reading this and I just about threw my iPad across the room when that was the end of the chapter. I was like, no, they're all dead now. Uh, but as it turns out, two chapters later, uh, Arya wakes up with a headache because he hit her with the flat side of the axe to knock her out and stop her from being foolish. Um, and it's much clearer in the TV series that, yeah, uh, the hound saved her and she's fine. Whereas in the book, you have a couple of chapters of thinking that Arya is dead too. Yeah, I could see that being a problem because that's just leaves Rob as the only, well, I guess Sansa, but nobody likes Sansa. Um, <laughs> as the last, I, I love Sansa. Well, I'm sorry. Phil, who does not like Caitlyn and does not like Rob, likes <laughs> Sansa. I forgot about that. And <laughs> like Arya, like Sansa. That's right. You have unique tastes, Phil. That's, you know, that's, and John Snow. I like John Snow. Well, I think everybody likes Jon Snow. Yeah, well, that's Dennis. I mean, he's my favorite character in the whole thing, probably. Right, right. Uh, well, and that's your favorite character of the whole thing, so we need to talk about him a little bit. And then uh, I well, also it, don't want to—I don't want to leave this episode without talking about Daenerys a little bit. Well, and and we have to talk about Jon Snow. Uh, okay, real quick, Jon Snow wanders through the north, finds the wall, climbs the wall, makes it back. No, do we? No, need no, well, well, no. Well, then let me rephrase: not Jon Snow, it's a uh, Sam then. His story. His story is pretty important, I think. No, it is important. It's huge. Um, basically, Sam, fig- Sam figures out how to kill the White Walkers by accident. Yes, yes. He, he and then also uh, the White Watch has a rebellion, and and the leader of the White Watch, I mean the Black Watch, gets killed. He's murdered by his yes. own people. That's yeah. huge. And yeah, the and Sam escapes with one of Craster's. Uh, uh, wife slash daughters and her newly born baby, and when he they escape and they're hanging out at a abandoned cabin in the woods. By the way, they are attacked by an other or White Walker, and he has an obsidian knife that he stabs it with and kills it. And he finds out that they're they're um, besides fire, they're also. Um, can be killed by obsidian, which is also known as dragon rock or dragon dragon glass. Dragon, dragon glass, glass, yeah. 
Yes. Which is so, significant because they actually found a stash of these dragon glass weapons uh, yeah. buried in the snow. Season two. And uh, they were trying to figure out why the hell anybody would put those there. And well, now they if you know. Played a, played a game, you know, well, there's new monsters. Hey, I found a new weapon. I wonder what this is used for. <laughs> and, and so, Killed a new monster. And so um, he, Sam's goal is to get back to the, the uh, headquarters of the Black Watch to say that the White Walkers are coming. And they wiped out basically half the Black Watch that had gone on patrol. And then also the Rebellion, that, and they killed each other as well. And he survives, and he gets back to tell Master Arnus, I think his name is, I forget, but hmm. uh, the old Targaryen, he's a Targaryen, uh, and say, to tell him that they're coming and that we have to protect not only the, the kingdoms, but we also have to protect the wildlings because the Black Watch is supposed to protect all people. Right. And, and the monster says, all right, send it. we're going to send out all the ravens to let everybody know throughout the kingdoms that we need people here now because this is where the real battle is. It's, you know, the, anything that's going on below the wall isn't important. Right. Uh, and one of the things I like about Sam, uh, is that, you know, being a fictional work, you think, uh, you know, Sam, you know, who's been kind of the weak one up until now is going to have this transformation and, and become a hero and find his purpose in life. And it, no, <laughs> I found my special purpose. I found my special purpose. No, um, that's not what happens. He's, he's, he's a total coward. Uh, he figures out how to kill the White Walkers by accident and does so out of no sense of bravery, but out of sheer instinct when fear of, for his life. Uh, yeah, well, but actually at that point, his, you know, the, the White Walker, his back was to him. He did it, you know, as, as much to protect Gilly. Yeah, that's right. And, and, well, that's and, true. That's right. And, and, and he's not going to become a warrior, but he has, he does find strength of his own. And this is a character he, who's, he has honor, but not bravery. But, well, but, right. but doesn't matter that he has bravery or not because what, what's the girl's name? Aunt Gilly, you said, Mike? Yeah. I think yeah. it's... Yeah. She, she says to him once, because he goes, all right, this is what we got to do. We got to go through this passage, whatever, whatever. It'll bring us to another place and then we can get to the, the tower and, and warn everybody. And she goes, how do you know this? And he goes, oh, I read it in books. And, <laughs> she, and, and he, she goes, wow, you're some kind of wizard. <laughs> and, and he has kind Sorry. of found his... his um, Destiny, because he is going to be like almost a meister without actually being a meister, in a sense. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I like that when they're talking, because Gilly is this sheltered, uneducated girl, and she's at one point, she says to him, it's like, you know, why do you talk like that? Are you trying to mock me or, like, or you know, make fun of me? And he says, no, it's just the way I talk, because he keeps using these big words that she doesn't know what any of them mean. Um, and he has to explain that he comes from a shitty family to her too, and it's you do get a sweet relationship because they are of all the characters in the series probably the most innocent that are not wolves or small Stark children. That's true. Yeah, and and you know she even names her son after him because of all the things he's done for her and and things. And and uh, I mean, out of all the characters, he's probably the. The quote unquote saintless, I guess. 
And I also like, you know, they, when they when they get to the back to the wall and get back to Castle Black, and they said, "What's the you know, what's the name of the child?" And they say, "Sam." It gives you an idea how long they've been away because he has to like point out, "No, no, no, it's not mine." Yeah. He has to point out, That's right. "No, no, I'm in family health." Uh, don't because this is the first time he finds out what she's chosen to name him. Yeah, um, and you're right, Mike. That's a good point because similar to the Jamie thing, the this whole episode plus and part of the second season are over a year, and even though it seems to us, right. you know, you know, not long at all. Even though there's a year between seasons, so how weird, but yeah. Um, it's actually been three years for us, but it doesn't seem that long, so irony. Yeah. Um, right. So obviously, this uh, the important thing here is that, and this is where I think I would have probably preferred them to set to end the series, of uh, the season, um, was that they let crows fly and they bring the messages send a message of the stuff the the creatures from above the wall coming down uh one of which gets to stannis and do we want to go to the stannis story while we have have a chance yeah yeah let's let's, let's do that i mean in theory there's three other stories there's stannis there's uh darius and there's Arya and the hound but what's and and brandon hodor and theon poor theon well, yeah. and just Never for the can't... record, I find the Brandon Hodor storyline completely useless and boring. Uh, Brandon's whole thing better pay off big time in the end because in the books, oh. it's seriously pissing me off because it's just all like, I can say it's, is it's, it's Hodor. just them, it's them traveling north for three books straight, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, and, Hodor, and, and you're right. You're right, Mike. We, we forgot all about uh, Ramsey Snow. Or Ramsey Bolton, if you prefer, and, and the Theon story. So, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Jesus. Yeah. I, well, the Theon story annoyed me because it really was just him being tortured for nine ep- for ten episodes. Well, and that's what um, they pulled in for book five. Well, right. And, and, and that's it. But I have to say, Mike, I think it was more, even though it's quote unquote a Theon story, I think it really is more a Ramsey Snow story. Even though Theon's the character we know, what that whole storyline really is developing. Is who Ramsey Snow is, and the huge importance that he's going to play in the next few seasons, as well as the fact that he may be worse than Joffrey. Well, well and- even so, I think you could have done it with half the time that they they devoted to it. But I, it's we haven't paid it off yet, um, so I'm hoping that it goes somewhere. But but you know what? If, have- if you look at all the time that Theon was on the, the, the show. In this season, it was probably less than 25 minutes. It's just that it seemed long because they did two minutes here and then they did two minutes in the next show and so forth. It's not as long as you think. Oh, maybe. Uh, I was just going to say that uh, it is a Theon storyline too. And it's, it's uh, what am I trying to say? The way it's written in the book, I felt was a lot more effective than the way they're showing it in the TV series simply because in the book, it's being written from uh, Theon's internal monologue after he's been tortured for however long. So he's been broken as a man. And then you get to read what his internal dialogue is after he's actually been broken. And that's uh, that's actually kind of fascinating to read. Ramsey Bolton part, what's it go with him? Uh, I mean, he's a sick bastard, yeah. Yeah, pretty much it is. Yeah. And remember, the, the house Bolton is the 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 house of the flayed man. So the people yeah. with these. 
Yeah. So yeah. this well, is a, and, this uh, is a... and even the rest of the Boltons thinks he's out of control. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I believe it. I mean, even this is this is a house that proudly displays skinned people as their flag, and this is the guy that they feel is going too far. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, that's pretty much is that storyline. But basically, what it is is we find out, and it was all off camera, but this could have been a great scene, which is uh, Ramsey Snow sent by his father, Roos Bolton, to basically take back Winterfell from the Ironborn. And so as we saw in season two, the Ironborn, the 20 men that were there, take the deal and they give up Theon. But what happens is, which is all off screen, is that Ramsay Snow then lied, captures all these 20 Ironborn, flays them and burns them, then takes Theon as a, as a prisoner and does what he, he, he does to him. But then he also burns down Winterfell and kills everybody there as well for some reason. And mm-hmm. I, we're still, I'm still not sure quite why he decided to kill everybody at Winterfell. It's because he's psycho. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much all it is, is to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that's interesting about the credits, um, you know, the, when they play the music and all that, they show Winterfell at burning in the credits. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, that's that story. So um, he's a he, yeah, he's a real mean bastard. This this Ramsey Snow guy, um, real bad guy. Um, and even his father says, yeah, he does his things differently than the rest of us. Yeah. Okay, so now we got um, Stannis. So let's let's go, let's go to him next. Um, so Stannis is a broken man. His armies are all at the bottom of the sea. Um, he doesn't know what to do, and so he goes on a a uh, murdering spree of infidels. So he's basically arresting all the, the people who worship the, the wrong gods, and they're burning them all. And that's just all off screen. And then what happens is, basically his story is Davos comes back, and really, when you think about it, the, the story is not much, except that they get Chendry, they, they take his blood, they burn the blood to, so they can kill all the kings. And coincidentally, or not coincidentally, uh, after doing that, that is when Rob Stark dies. Exactly. So he's basically doing religious slash magic to try to gain back some of his power and to eliminate some of his rivals. And, he, and, and his argument is that even though it may not be the best magic in the world. This is how the Targaryens did it with, with the power of dragons and magic. That's right. And they don't have dragons, so they'll use magic to give them the edge that they, they don't otherwise have. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. And uh, he says that he can't forgive any of these people because they're all pretenders to the throne, but also he can't forgive any of these people because they cause bloodshed to the kingdom, which he is the leader of. And he doesn't appreciate any of that. And and ironically, while or he's the one pretender to the throne who's actually, um, well, these are the ones, you could argue with Daenerys, but of the ones that are battling currently in, in uh, Westeros, he's the only one that's really seems to express any concern for the, the, the people in the kingdom. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, well, because- and there's also the fact that, uh, depending on your point of view, really, uh, Stannis and Daenerys are really the only ones that have any valid claim to the throne. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, because uh, 
uh, Joffrey is not really a, a uh, Baratheon. So, right. Right. Uh, well, I don't understand how being a bastard factors in because if if Gendry is as as uh, as uh, Robert Baratheon's bastard son, he obviously has his blood. Does that give him a claim to his throne, or does the fact that he's a bastard mean that he, he doesn't have any claim, even if he was the only only living child left? Well, remember we're we're in in a, a patriarchal society, so the fact that Cersei is Joffrey's mother uh, doesn't count nearly as much as the fact that Robert is Gendry's father. But but also there's a more important thing. But he's, is that Joffrey was so worried about other sons of, of Robert Baratheon that he had all the bastards killed. Yes. Right. And, yeah, so I mean, I think Stannis is the one, again, Gendry would never have known. Nobody knew about Gendry um, until recently. And so I think of everyone there, he is the one that has the most legitimate claim. Of course, most people don't realize that Jeffrey, or Joffrey uh, is a bastard in his own right and not the son of Robert Baratheon. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. Um, which is why that makes, makes such a big issue of in the second season of telling everybody what his mommy has been doing. Right. His enemies spread the word about, you know, those ugly lies about my mother, you know, those. Uh... <laughs> so Stannis is well, two things. One, he's actually caring about the kingdoms and the people getting slaughtered because the land is. Well, and and eventually he receives the crow message about what's happening up north. And yes. he's like, yeah. Uh, he's the only one, you know, ever, some other people get this message about send us men to the wall and everybody was like, whatever, freaking crows, they're annoying. Uh, but Santa's like, whoa, we need to go take care of this. And he actually marches his army up there to help take care of it. And, and more importantly, the, what I feel, if I find one of the, um, as at this point been portrayed as one of the most sinister characters, which is, um, Melisandre. Phil's uh, beloved Melisandre, she says, okay, this whole thing about the, the throne doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. This is what matters. Yes. And so that gives you a, certainly a sense of the importance of what's coming down from up north. But it also tells me that these are the two characters, as much as they may be willing to do horrible things, that they have their priorities straight. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and that's the thing, is, is that is that Melisandre, is he really quote-unquote, bad, or is it just we're looking through Davos's perspective and and that's it? You know, and either way, it, I guess it really doesn't matter because like you said, Mike, they're the ones that only are the only two people that have their heads screwed on straight when it comes to what the real problem is here and what really has to be done. Right. No, there's the, there's one more storyline that, uh, that I want to talk about, which is Daenerys. Um because not a whole lot happens with her this season, but what does happen is significant, which is that uh, she gets an army. Um, and the a way she does army. it, a kick-ass army, she basically goes to the, uh, the slaver islands uh, in the south, and uh, she finds out about this uh, the unsullied, which are uh, slaves that are trained to be soldiers uh, from birth, and I believe they're castrated and given a, a made-up name so that they will have no identity of their own. And basically, they're trained their entire lives to obey and be obedient soldiers. Um, and they're for sale. So Daenerys shows up and needs an army and starts talking to the slaver uh, about buying the Unsullied. And 
tells him that she wants all of them. Now, one little thing that's, uh, it's, it was, a uh, kind of fun to be in on, uh, while reading the books because, uh, basically this slaver talks, uh, uh, crap. What's the language of uh, Valerian? Uh, the slaver speaks Valerian, high Valerian. Um, and assumes that Daenerys does not since they have a translator there. Uh, well, when you're reading the books, you can realize that Daenerys understands everything that the slaver is saying. And he is really saying some rude things about her, assuming that she cannot understand what he's saying. So he basically tells the translator, tell this stupid whore if she really wants these slaves, uh, it'll cost her her dragons. Um, and the translator, of course, does her job properly and uh, turns it around into something much nicer to actually say to Daenerys <laughs> and get the similar message across. Uh, so this all goes on in a television series. You don't know that she can understand everything that he's saying until the very end of the plot line, uh, whereas in the book you're not a joke. Uh, but in the television series, this is going on the whole time and the translator's translating. Uh, and then at the very end... Uh, they come to an agreement that she will give him uh, her largest dragon in exchange for all the entire unsullied army of like, I, I forget it's eight or 9,000 unsullied soldiers. So they go through this deal and uh, he gives her the symbolic whip, which gives her ownership of the unsullied army. And, First, she's smart enough to test it out and make sure the army's working properly first. <laughs> she gives the army a command to march forward and then commands them to stop, and they do. So she's she's confident they are now obeying her. Um, and then turns around and says something to the slaver in High Valerian. <laughs> At which point the slaver realizes that she has understood every single incredibly rude thing he has said about her the entire time. And, and uh, it's important to point out, this happens over several episodes. It wasn't just a one-episode gag. He's right. been insulting her for like three episodes. Four, yeah, it was three or four episodes. Of Picard, yeah. And uh, at which point a very interesting facial expression appears on his face. Uh, and meanwhile, he's having a little trouble uh, controlling the dragon which she has turned over to him. And uh, and basically says, says to the translator... Uh, Tell her to get her dragon under control, and when she comes out with a high Valerian, is that uh, that uh, dragons are not slaves, <laughs> and then she just says Dracaris, and the black dragon totally just goes to town and starts toasting everybody, <laughs> and, and not with champagne. It is awesome. I, I have to say that the the best part of that whole thing, though, is the translator. Oh yeah, the translator was awesome. Oh, she was smoking. <laughs> yeah, I knew we were going there. I knew we were going there. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, I tried to save Phil from himself this episode, but he got it in there. Yeah. Yes. All right. Um, yeah, I see. I like, I don't know about anybody else. I kind of figured out quickly yeah, that she knew that. what was going on. I remember you saying what? that. I remember you saying yeah. that it happened way back, even before I even watched the show this this season you were talking you and Eric were talking about spoiling and you said I I could tell this was going to happen right from the beginning. Well, uh-huh. I was just suspected because that's you don't set this up and never have her find out what kind of an ass he is and and you know did anyone think that the deal was not going to backfire horribly? You you want to complain about Rob Stark being an idiot or Caitlin Stark being an idiot? 
this guy was a massive moron. Yeah. Well, and uh, and uh, Daenerys is uh, pretty much being painted as the Lincoln of Westeros at this point uh, in setting all the slaves free, uh, which is what she does here. Um, the the still fight hat was a little bit much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's what's going on. Uh, and she is uh, seemingly gaining power and uh, beginning her march on Westeros. Now, Unless I believe uh, the people who read the book who say she still hasn't gotten there yet. Well, I wasn't going to spoil that, but uh, okay. That, that's really what I wanted to talk about because that. Well, that, what happens next is that she does. They do march on because I had a chance to try the army out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, and by the way, before I, the, the score during this scene, I thought was absolutely awesome. Oh, it was. Um, and, and so they go to another slaver city. And she meets up with these mercenaries and tries to deal with them and basically ends up winning the heart completely by accident of one of the mercenary leaders who kills the other mercenaries to prove his love for her yes, or his loyalty to her, whatever. And, and they end up sacking the city. And now you have, this is where she becomes Lincoln because she already sort of freed the Sully, the, the unsullied and said, you may follow me or you may not follow me. That's up to you. And they all and, follow her. And they, of course, all follow her because otherwise her story comes to a dead halt. What is it and, they start chanting? Is it mother? Yeah, basically, yeah. At the end, the, there's the people in the city that she's freed all come out to her. And they, and they, this is the woman to whom you owe your freedom. And she, being a good politician who's learning faster than Rob Stark did, stands up and says, I have given not given you your freedom and is not mine to give. And they all start going, mother, mother, mother. And then she starts body surfing like she's at a fish concert or something. And um, that's how that's the totally lame ending of the season. There's been a lot of controversy about that ending, not necessarily for the lameness, as you said, Eric. Uh, I think they should have probably ended it with Stana saying, let's head up to the wall. Just ended I agree. Um, but they, they were complaining about – people have been complaining about um, the blonde – blue-eyed white woman being the savior of the quote-unquote darker peoples, I guess. And I, all I know, oh, well, I do, I do know this. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, first of all, uh, at least in the United States, the U.S. Census says if you are a Caucasian, you can trace your roots back to Europe, Northern Africa, and the Middle East. So these people looked to me Middle Eastern. I mean, I, I guess they, they were... Mediterranean. Yeah, Mediterranean, maybe Hispanic looking. I, I don't know, but I, I I don't know if they were. I would consider them them ethnic minorities that are being helped and saved by a white women. So I think that may be going a little too far by some of the critics. Um, well, clearly the, the Westerosi are Europeans. I haven't. I don't know if we've had any black people on the show. To be honest with you. Yeah, just Davos's friend in the book. Yeah, the one pirate. It's ambiguous what what ethnic group he is, but yeah, right. Just one. And part. we haven't seen any any people of of Asian descent. None. But at all. they're trying to get an idea that they're different cultures and different territories and different lands. And for whatever reason, yeah. Westeros slavery is frowned upon. Right. Right. Well, while the, the on the other side of the, the sea, it appears it's it's not frowned upon uh, at all because. This is one guy that can have eight thousand salaries. So, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I mean, I don't know if that was a legitimate argument or a complaint by the oversensitive 
people, I guess, that would think that it was white blonde woman saving dark, I guess, Mediterranean people. But I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't get that. <laughs> Neither but, did I. It's yeah. people looking well, for a, something to be white, upset about. As a white blonde hair, blue eyed male myself, uh, it's not something that I ever really consider. I, I do think they are a little heavy handed with her being uh, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, yeah right. uh, but and, there, and the problem is that here it almost feels like overkill because she had the horse army and then they killed them all off. And so they give her a new army, but she did, don't just give her a new army. They give her a new army that makes the horse sword army look like crap. Yeah. Right. Right. They, they give her a total upgrade. Yeah. Plus they give her the three dragons. Plus they give her two of the best advisors. Plus, as Phil will say, she's smoking hot. She plus, seems almost unbeatable, doesn't she? Yeah, plus she's actually seems to be portraying herself as kind and merciful and not at all crazy and like like Joffrey is. So it's becoming really hard to say how are we supposed to be rooting against her to win the Game of Thrones? Well, what could possibly go wrong? Well, that's what I don't want to know, but you know, <laughs> So well one of well one of two things has to happen. Well three things. One, they can just totally overload the person who is the seems to be the best, goodest, nicest, most noble person, give them an unbeatable army, and completely destroy the ending by making it anticlimactic. Two, something can happen to make her become not quite so wonderful a person as she was, or seems to be, and we will be rooting for her opponents to beat the crap out of her when she arrives with this overwhelming army that they have no help hope of overcoming or something's going to happen to her to completely decimate all the advantages she has right now. Hmm. And I don't know which that, that would be for me, the three possibilities. I don't know which one they're going to go with or multiples of them, but I do. It will be interesting to see. Yeah. We'll shut up. (laughs) Yeah. Will it happen in episode nine of this season? No, no, it's not a sudden thing. I'll say this: though. that whole this whole Daenerys part of the Game of Thrones, in my opinion, is is the most boringest because I like the more scheming. Yeah, dragons Starks. are boring. Yeah, I, well, I'll tell you why. I think that the the Lannister Stark scheming stuff is much more interesting, and so when those things come on, I'm very into it. But when the Daenerys stuff comes on, I'm like bored as hell. And I don't care if there's dragons or not. So, I want to see I, those I was, fucking dragons lay siege to King's Landing. I want to see that. Well, when that happens, I'll agree with you. But until she, as long as she stays on the other side of the, the sea, it's like boring. <laughs> well, but see, I would say, Phil, uh, Phil, I found that much more compelling at the beginning of the season where she was had some disadvantage, where she was trying to get an army, and you had that sort of gamesmanship going on with the Slaver Lord. Yeah, because, and I thought, I thought once she got the army, she was going to go across the sea, too. But, right, but once she gets the army, then it becomes overkill. And you know that no matter what happened, like there's, you know, when she runs into the slavers at the next city, and, you know, she is completely kicking their ass in negotiations. You have no sense at all that she's in any threat. When she meets the mercenaries, you have no sense at all that she's going to be harmed when the, the lead mercenary insults her and, you know, talks about her sexually. You know, she's comfortable enough that she doesn't give a shit because she knows that she could snap him in a second. Right. 
So she needs to be taken down a peg or something needs to happen there to make it more interesting. Because right now, you know, she's a video game on, on God mode, you know, and. Right. But, but again, need, though, again, though, she's just again, though, she's just fighting nobodies in a sense, because, I mean, well, I guess not nobodies, but faceless people, because all these people that she's fighting are people that we just learn about. You know that episode basically. It's not like she's fighting the Lannisters or the Starks or Stannis Baratheon. I mean, once that happens, then I think her story will be really interesting. But until that happens, it's like I, I don't know the point of it except that she's. I guess, well, you'll you'll find out. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we'll definitely find out. That's for sure. Assuming our our modern you know writes the last book too. <laughs> yeah, he's getting kind well, of pissed because the TV has, series is catching up with him. He has told the showrunners what happens. Just in case he doesn't and, finish the book ahead of time. Okay, and, the fact, and the fact that I know the Theon story was moved up from book five, um, that makes me comfortable with thinking that they may recognize that there are elements to the books that need to be put on fast forward. Um, like you mentioned, the eternal journey north for the Stark children. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, that's something. And, and I, look, I've heard a lot of complaints by longtime fans, like when, because the fifth book just came out last year, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was last year. Did it? Before, but it was within the past. It was within like a year. It was, it was yeah. relatively, since the show began is when it came out. Yeah, that's right. And I remember seeing a whole lot of like the, the listeners go, the readers in their reviews basically saying, let me guess, a whole bunch of shit doesn't happen in this one, too. You know, it's, uh... <laughs> Yeah. And so, obviously, there's some frustration there, and if I, as a person who's not read the books and is just watching the TV show, knows this, I'm imagining that the people who are getting the, the mountains of mail from other people and who have had to devour the books to write these stories and episodes are aware of the uh, dissatisfaction and, to some degree, can tweak events to maybe keep the, the ball rolling. Yeah, I'm hoping so because uh in the books at least he just keeps on uh keeps on making up more fucking characters. And I'm just like, "What? No, just I'm having trouble keeping track of the ones I know already." They're dead. Well, some of them. Yeah. Well, was it the joke I saw, why doesn't George R. R. Martin use Twitter? It's because he killed off all 140 characters. <laughs> That's great. I like that joke. <laughs> Um, you know, you have a favorite great Game of Thrones character? Wait a minute, well, you know, just not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Yeah. Um, but like, I got look. I'm admit for me, this was my least favorite of the three seasons. Even though the Red Wedding episode was a great episode, because there were things like I got tired of watching Sam trudge through the snow. I got tired of watching Rob trudge through the snow, and waiting for something to happen. And eventually they do, but there was just a lot of so, you know, there were a lot of people just walking. There was, uh, you know, the uh, Brienne and um, Jamie walking. I, I liked that, and, though. I liked, the, I liked watching them interact. Well, I liked, the, liked watching them interact, and I could enjoy them. I'm not saying I didn't like the season, but I had, you know, you, it was Arya, Arya and the Hound traveling. Everybody was traveling. There was right. a lot of getting to destinations, and it just felt like a lot of time getting there. And the only one that had a real big payoff well, one, you have the uh, obviously the, the Slaver Lord, which happens in the middle of the season, and then the Red Wedding. And the thing I enjoyed most was the political gamesmanship at King's Landing. 
because that wasn't people, while it was people walking around gardens talking about shit, but the talking about shit had real purpose and drive and events were going to transpire based on that. There wasn't simply talking about how Jon Snow was inexperienced in the, in the sack, you know, it was, um, right. So I, so I would like to see some more happenings happening, which <laughs> it felt more to me like was going on. What's happening? In one and two, but, yeah. uh, I, I'd like to see the story. Like, cause while some storylines converge at the end of this season, you know, I'd like to see more of that because it's, these characters were completely cut off with each other for most of the series. Right. Right. Like, like Arya had nothing to do with anybody except the Hound. And right. obviously Daenerys is a completely different continent. Yeah. You know, you had one mention of her by Joffrey somewhere in the middle of the, the season. Yeah. Um, well, and it's also yeah. completely bizarre for me to go back and rewind the story to where it is in season three. Uh, cause I've experienced already two books worth of completely different plot line involving Ar- Arya. And I'm just like, Oh, right. She's not there yet. <laughs> and I, and I am wondering as much as I like the character of Arya, if she's going to end up turning out to be a little psychopath. Oh, yeah. she is. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. It's, there's the seed. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a seed. And you can there. tell that yeah. you can tell that the hound likes her. So that's not a good sign. Yeah. But the hound's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but first of all, she's, she's, she's lost a few of her opportunities for revenge already. Yep. So she, and, but this is a girl who recites herself every every night. She goes to sleep the names of people that she wants to kill. Yeah, that's someone that's sick in the head, <laughs> or and, well, a bit of both. But I mean, you can understand why. <laughs> I'm Yo, sure yeah, so you yeah, understand. Yeah, why. yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, family. I definitely understand why. Yeah, there's no doubt. But the question is, do you let revenge consume your life? And I'm hoping at some point she gets the opportunity to make the decision as to whether or not she's going to be consumed by revenge. You know, or not. And of course, let's remember when she got offered the opportunity to, to name any three people and have them die immediately, how Prince Joffrey didn't immediately jump off to her lips. Well, well, kind that's, of what, that's, what, that's what Gentry says in, in one of the first few episodes. And that's another reason why I can't stand her character is because she had a chance to end everything and she was just stupid. And it's like, what a fucking asshole. <laughs> because Joffrey dead. Uh, Tywin dead. Yeah, and Cersei's dead. Game over. You know, and I don't like, think she to kill Cersei. If you get rid of Tywin and you get rid of uh, Joffrey, really, what does Cersei have? Well, all right, fair enough. But either way, she could name two people and and one other person that was Stannis. Stannis dead. I guess because he he, <laughs> he he's a hardhead. There's no doubt. Yeah, or or no, but or, or Daenerys or something. Yeah. No, but well, the one she would know is the only one she because she doesn't know what's going on with Stannis. I don't think she knows what's going on with Daenerys. The only ones that she would really would know about would be Tywin and the Lannisters. And yeah, it would have been Cersei. She she would she would have gone with Cersei. She would have because of who she knows. But she didn't. She went instead of going for those. She picks nobody. They're just stupid. Well, one did kind of bail her out of trouble. So I understood that she was saving it for emergency purposes. But um, she wouldn't have been in that trouble if she just said the three right away. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but then they would have had to have the character go, oh, that's the king. I'm going to need a few months to pull that job off. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, let's bring up one last thing I can think of, uh, unless you guys have more after that, but, um, the, the brotherhood without banners, because I know they're going to take a huge step in the next season because of 
one of the characters, uh, I won't name it, um, even though Eric already knows who it is. Um, and I want to point this is an entire plot line that develops from one line by Ned Stark in the first season that they didn't do anything with really for, for a season and a half before they emerge and step out to the front. So, again, those little seeds being planted that pay off on those rewatches. Yeah, so, yeah, that is true. Good point, Mike. And um, what it is is that you get this group that have decided to have no banner. In other words, they're not going to support Lannister stocks or anybody, and they're just going to try to find justice throughout the land, I guess. And the thing is, the thing that makes it important isn't necessarily their, quote-unquote, goodwill that they're doing, but the thing that makes it important is they believe in the same God as Melisandre. And that is now an interesting aspect, because now they're making religion part of the, the film a little more than I thought they would, and now the question is, is this God, the Red God or whatever, going to be an a strong point for the rest of the book is the, that God really a demon? Is that God going to appear? You know, on and on. I don't know. It's just curious. And what it is, well, is they, yeah, go on, Eric, please. I was just going to say one of the things I find fascinating about that whole aspect of this is that it's already been proven more than once um, that there's something to this religion. Uh, yes, I mean, they pray. And, and shit happens. Uh, swords catch on fire. Uh, and, and people get brought back from the dead. Uh, so it's not like. The dead rise. It's, they just get not, put on penises. <laughs> so it's not just like a made up thing. There's clearly some higher power involved. Right. And let's be honest, if religions actually worked that way, where, you know, Miracles were happening right in front of your face. I think oh, there would be a lot fewer skeptics. Yes, yes, that's okay. you know, and there would be also a lot fewer arguments as to which was the right religion. Yes, you know, what has your God done? Uh, my God appeared in a piece of burnt toast. My God raised the dead. I win. <laughs> right, 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 right. And it's happening. And not, not, not two thousand years ago. Exactly. He raised Bob down off the street when he got struck by the runaway car. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. We're not talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago where we still have people not quite sure whether what really happened versus it ha- actually happening right now. In other words, these people are doing it today where they're raising people from the dead. So you would say, yeah, yeah, this, this, I think in this, this guy is probably right. So that'll be an interesting thing to see where that goes. Uh, I know Eric, you know exactly where it goes. At least one aspect of it um, right yeah and, and if uh, it was just if it was just melisandre you could argue well maybe she's a witch and she's just crediting it to this imaginary god she's a witch um, right you've got well well she's <laughs> she's has this, she has the same weight as a duck that's what exactly. makes her a witch. Burn her! and so uh, you have this drunken priest who is clearly not or doesn't seem to be magical if it, you know, maybe he has some inherent magical ability that we're, we don't know of, but you know he's clearly not a wizard. Right, you know right. he's, he's not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. And what's interesting is you have. Well, I don't trust Melisandre a, a, a bit. Um, the other guys, the the guys without borders, seem seem to be uh, without banners, seem to be decent guys trying to fight the good fight. 
So you have a God that's responding to people that I think are decent and somebody that I think is is completely untrustworthy. Um, she rules. And so it's curious to see what's going to go. What was that, Phil? Yeah, the, I said Massandra rules. Yeah, we know, Phil. Yeah, she's the best. <laughs> but hey, and she's buddies with Stan. She has to be all right. Yeah, okay. Yes. But, well, well, yeah. I mean, Eric, you know where her story is going, so, so you, you probably know that. You know, whatever. Yeah, so, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So, so, um, um, but yeah, it shows that not only the quote-unquote witch, but also this, this. She's a witch. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, yeah. So that's that's that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where all that goes. Um, again, Eric knows some of it, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, any further things? Any other items uh, that we missed? Or, I mean, we got Bran and him going after the... Ah, uh, Bran's an idiot. I don't care items. about that plot line. The three-eye crow. But whatever. Yeah, wh- whatever. But, but what they're implying is in this, and it actually there's nothing, no spoiler because it says it in, this, in the season three, is that he's going there because he may be able to stop the white walkers if he finds the crow or something. Uh, he's trying to, he's trying to learn how to use his, his, uh, third eye and some yeah. shit. Uh, yeah. but let me tell you, I'm two books further down and they still haven't gotten anywhere with that plot line. It's pissing me off. Uh, so that, that was obviously book four. Uh, or five. I can't remember which one. Yeah. Well, but the books are so short. How much can they really do with them? <laughs> <laughs> You're a funny guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, well, again, it's there has to be – this is – you always run the risk of this turning out to be lost where you're waiting for there to be a payoff that doesn't happen. Well, that's what I'm always worried about, yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, let's hope it does. The question is, like, we can see the kings kind of coming together for this confrontation, and they're on a collision course with the creatures from the north. And then there's this little crippled boy looking for a three-eyed crow, and I still don't quite see yeah, where he's at. And, unless, you know, unless he's going to bring up the animal kingdom and have all the bears fighting for. Right. Well, well, I have no idea. This, this is what I, unless Martin pulls another character out of the woodworks, which he possibly could because he does it often in a lot of these, um, you know, these books, I guess. But the, my point is, is that I can see a few things. Bran is going to somehow save the thing, and that's going to be where the, the big payoff is at the end of the whole series. Or it's going to be Jon Snow, where he's really someone else, and he's going to do it. Or it's going to be Daenerys, but I'm thinking that's just a red herring. and Or it could be Stannis, but I'm thinking Stannis may have a different mission in the long run. So... I don't see anything with the Lannisters, the Baratheons, or the Starks to be the final thing that will wrap up the whole story, though. And I just gotta, I just gotta say to tease a little bit, uh, the ultimate fate of one character in particular has still not been revealed, and uh, I can't wait to watch people freak out about it. Well, I'm pretty sure the ultimate fate of most of the characters that are still alive has been revealed. It's, yet. it's a character that's already in the in the TV show, though, right, Eric? Oh yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, it was. It was also very interesting in the book because in the the very end of book three, uh, 
he dropped, I think, two sentences about it, and then yeah. just like dropped it until book five. And then like halfway through book five, he comes back to it, and I'm like, okay, so I didn't hallucinate that whole thing. He did say that, so yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So, but, but but this is something that you're saying then that will that assuming they follow this through to the end of book three, we will find out this season. Um, I would think it's coming in season four. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Not episode nine of season three or season four. It's not, not an episode three. nine thing, no. But it's it's okay. it's a little something that uh, if they choose to, because uh, I I honestly don't know what significance this is going to have in the long run. But if they if they choose to reveal that, uh, people will react. And Mike, what, what where do you think? It's going to go, assuming it's not a lost screw-up. Well, I really have no idea where they're going with, with Bron, uh, Bran, rather, and that's that's kind of why I've had trouble getting into this. I, I could almost see, you know, this is maybe the American in me who we tend to root for, sort of the underdogs, and we don't like the whole uh, nobility sort of thing. I could almost see, like, Jon Snow defying the whole class warfare thing and him ending up becoming king. Um, no, that that would be cool. I'd be on board with that. Yeah. Uh, but I could also see him, like, the way they've done Daenerys, assuming nothing really horrible happens with her character, I thought, well, like, you could always have, like, a Jon Snow-Daenerys hookup. Um, yeah. I'd be on board with but, that, too. But then again... But, uh, screw the Lannisters. Down with the Lannisters. Crazy Targaryen family. Yeah, you can't... Realistically, you know, you would think the, the Lannisters are the, the rich, powerful, you know, ruthless bastards. They probably should win everything, but I don't see them the story going out that way. I don't know how much longer they can string Joffrey along because they're not going to develop him into a, a three-dimensional character. And I can't see them just keeping a two-dimensional bastard around forever. All right. Well, and, um, and, and to be fair, that's one thing they've done with the TV series is, yes, Joffrey is a rotten bastard, no doubt about it, but they've actually put a little bit of an edge on that in a series that's not in the book. Um they they made him even worse in the in the TV series. Yeah, they they have actually. Yeah, whatever. Oh, they killed, they killed poor poor what's her name, Rosalind. Rosalind's not a character in the books, FYI. Yeah, I know that, but that's just oh, yeah, that a was, bastard. Yeah, that was that was. He, and he killed her. He killed her to get his get his jollies. That's basically what he did. Uh, right, and that's exactly what I'm saying. They they totally made that up. It's not in the books. Right. Well, it's all made up. Well, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, but again, a lot of it's question. I'm assuming that they're going to want to have a somewhat happy ending by the time all is said and done. So that means they have to have a a ruler to the kingdom who isn't an ass. George R.R. Martin's going to make that happen before he dies. Well, well, fortunately, he he told the the showrunners what he's going for. But but my guess is is that is that what happens if there is no king and instead they break it up into – like it was prior, like 2,000 years earlier, which is what they kind of talk about in the book and show, when all the kingdoms were independent. And maybe they're going to do the thing, you know, the breakup of the empire. Maybe. Well, they might, but I still don't know how you, you necessarily get a happy ending out of that just from the way the whole thing is going. Because I don't think Daenerys is going to be happy taking, you know, one corner, and I don't know that the Lannisters are going to be happy with one corner. Yeah. Or anyone's going to be happy with the Lannisters having much of anything. But there's also, you know, we just got the Tyrells thrown into the mix, really, this season. 
Yeah. So there, there, there could, there are probably big factors at play, as Eric has been saying, that I'm not aware of yet. Well, yeah, and then there's another family too, the Martells, I think, or something. I don't know. There's, there's a bunch of other, there's like one or two other families, I think, from the south that. Oh, are, and I can't forget Littlefinger's still out there pulling strings. Yeah. Oh, and we. Well, uh, I know. He's been, he's been yeah, sending don't forget about Littlefinger. We forgot also uh, the the Ironborn is still out there too. I gotta say, out of all the characters, I think Littlefinger's the best at self-preservation. I uh, um, I actually on uh, my my winter coat, I have the uh, Littlefinger's pin. <laughs> nice. And everyone keeps complimenting me on the pin. <laughs> I just I kind of laugh at it. I just like uh, I think some my, people think it's 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 Hunger Games. I was like, no, no, no. The people the, out of all the characters that aren't part of any of the big families, I think Ferris is my favorite. I think because he's, I think he's well, and he had I a nice he, moment during season three too. They he got to tell his story about how he became a eunuch. That's true, and, and, I, and it ended so wonderfully with opening the box. Yes, yeah, that was interesting. When it, and then um, he also had the story with it when he's talking to Shay and how you know he has faith in Tyrion, and that Tyrion, even if he can't be a king, he could actually be the person to be the true leader behind the king and kind of like Tywin is now yeah exactly but the difference is he would be a good and not ruthless person like Tywin right you know so I think Varys has some some good things to to, to say or, or do in maybe the future seasons but who knows but yeah Littlefinger I, I can't I would love to see him get slotted well no, they're probably my What's two that? favorite characters on the show were Varys and Littlefinger. And Varys and Littlefinger might be two of my favorite characters on the show. Yeah. Because it was all this, this wonderful verbal sparring and the, the smiling with the daggers behind their back. Um, you know, and that it's obviously it's Littlefinger who gave Ross to, to Joffrey as a final fuck you to Varys. Oh, before he just, went off. This is just a side note. It's, it's, a, a it's a totally incidental character, but I like that. I liked the whole little uh, little joke about uh, Podrick during the season three. Oh yeah, yeah, that was funny. Podrick, uh, he'll be king. Oh, uh, another good one too was um, uh, hot pie. Given the the bread that's supposed to be a wolf, and they're looking at it like, oh, okay, <laughs> right? Yeah, that was pretty funny too. Uh, yeah, it looks like a bread turd. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what that looks like, but yeah, yeah. But so, he's a character. She's a witch. <laughs> character in Game of Thrones that got a happy ending, so to speak. Yeah, I did. I don't know if he comes back later, you know, just to be like brutally tortured, raped, and murdered, <laughs> which seems like what would just well, at least Hopi had a happy ending. No, 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 you gotta wait. He's gonna, or maybe the dragon will lead him or something. No, but you had, but, throw, you had to throw in the rape thing, and all I'm thinking of is Theon. Well, well this is Westeros. Apparently, it's an Theon. accepted custom. Yeah, what was it? What was the, uh, the guy says to Theo? He goes, I'm going to fuck you. <laughs> and, the like, and he's going, no, no, no. <laughs> Anybody in the movie for hot dog? Just... Uh... I was, I was like, oh my god, I'm going to watch Deliverance again. But they stopped, right, it was, they it was pretty me. bad, yep. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. Uh, but that, that's a shame. I, I always liked the and, and in the book, he's more of a... Prick. What? I've always, I thought, until Seriously? he... Seriously? 
until he took over Whit- Winterfell, I, I liked him. Yeah, I just, uh, Theon's a oh. fucking idiot. Okay, no. Well, yeah. I well, Theon, I don't know what he's using in the book, and he's a character that I feel bad for in some ways because you, I understand what he's trying to do, but he's such a fuck up. I don't. Everything that happens to him happened to him because he's stupid, and that's what he deserves. And that's it. I mean, he didn't know any better than what he should have been. He, he, he had a good thing, and he screwed it up because he was trying to because he had unresolved daddy issues. And I feel bad for him that he's a moron who's being given choices and he keeps making the wrong ones. But I'm not saying he doesn't deserve necessarily what happens to him. But it's, you know, it's just a you know, tragic character in some ways. It's all these things happen because of events of his, his own insecurity. I find his torture to be comic relief. <laughs> oh, my God. Ramsey Snow, that guy is like has some of the best one line is no matter how evil he is. And it's terrible, too, because he's doing it. It is terrible. It is terrible. Yes, it, it is. Jeez. Uh, all right, so uh, let's see. Anything else? Or are we? Nah, we need to wrap this up. Yeah, we should wrap it up. All right, so sounds good. So uh, first off, uh, Eric, what's that other podcast that you everybody do? Uh, it's the Scancity Podcast. That's A-S-K-A-N-C-I-T-Y. You can find it on the iTunes store or at com. And Mike, uh, what's that blog that you do? Unnaturalselections.com. And Phil, what are those books you wrote? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, stories in, stories in, yep. Uh, Cairo Mad 2 and Canopic Jars Tales of Mummies and Mummification both are available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, and here it's www.darkdiscussions.com. Email darkdiscussions at aol.com. And at the bottom of every page, there's links to the Facebook group and all the rest. And we're on Stitcher where you can listen to us on your mobile devices. And before we say, well, actually, Eric, um, the two things. One is, <laughs> is why don't you leave us out? But two, at the end of we being let out, we should all say, Hoda. <laughs> Hoda. Right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Let's talk about Game of Thrones. Tune in next week when we'll be talking about the new horror movie, Chihuahuas from Hell. Until next time. Hodor. 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 Hodor.